Hey, modelers, welcome to the Model Geek Scale Modeling Podcast. Here we'll be discussing just about anything and everything as it relates to the world of scale modeling. Before we start, I would like to take a second and thank the sponsors of the Model Geeks Podcast, Detail and Scale, Furball Aero Design, and Sprue Brothers, as well as the listeners that donate to make this podcast possible. Now buckle up and ride along as we journey into the world of scale modeling. We really hope that you'll download and make us a part of your modeling mid sessions. Now, here are the geeks, Darren Cook, Scott Samo, Andrew Frill, and Andrew White. What's crack a lackin', Model Geeks? Welcome to episode 31 of the Model Geeks podcast. It's Frill, though, and I've got the controls for this episode. And here to help me kick the tires and light the fires today are my three co-hosts, Nemo, Whitey, and filling in for D-Ran is our local club president, Tim El Presidente Holland. Fellas, welcome to the show. Hey, Fro, what's up, man? Hey, uh, we should all give a big round of applause for for El Presidente, for Tim. Come yeah. on the show. Yeah, thanks for filling in. I'm gonna say I can find the uh, hail yeah. to the chief soundbite. We'll there, play that. There you go. That's right. <laughs> hail to the chief. And uh, let, let's just can all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> We're just here to build models, talk about mo- building models, talk about <laughs> models in general. So, Tim, so this is like your you know your first time with us on the Model Geeks podcast. Why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, hey, everyone. Um, I want to thank the geeks for uh, asking me to do this. It's uh, very humbling to uh, join um, great modelers and uh, um, especially this August group. A um, little background. I've been modeling for, believe it or not, 55 years. Um, started out with uh, a 727 and a 707 that dad helped uh, my sister and I build for a, a trip we were about to make. And uh, we had no, I, I don't have any idea what scale it was then. It was probably like one really small scale. Anyway, it, uh, all I remember is that uh, dad helped put those together, had lots of thumbprints in it. And, uh, you know, I was only like five, maybe six years old. And um, I played with that. My sister, she got the other one and very quickly said, here, you have this. And I played with that one too. And um, from that point forward, I only wanted three things for uh, gifts when it came to birthdays and Christmas. And that was models, Lego and Hot Wheels, because, hey, the models were airplanes. I could have those with my uh, Lego houses and uh, have a little runway and have lots of cars to help them out. It was great. Um, For uh, price and space, I quickly settled into 172nd scale. Um, I know that's uh, kind of verboten on this uh, podcast, but hey, uh, somebody's got to bring the the uh, quality and the class up a little bit. So I guess that's why I'm here. Ooh, wow. Oh, yeah. Got to throw that shot. <laughs> um, I could get Monogram and Ravel back then. Um, so that's pretty much all I ever made. I mean, every Ravel 72nd airplane I think I've got or had built at one point. Every time I, I see those, it shows. It's like, oh, man, I remember that one. And Sometimes I'll get one and uh, build one. Um, tried my hand at cars and some larger scales, but I, I could never finish anything. I, whether it was a car or a big airplane, it just there was no room for it in my little 10 by 10 uh, bedroom that I shared with my brother. And it was just, you know, so what am I going to do with this thing? Because the, there was only so much room on the ceiling to hang stuff. And uh, anyway, um, over the years, I settled into doing just naval aviation stuff mostly. Uh, 1911, 1955, 
Um, I will do other navies like Fleet Air Arm, the Aero Naval, uh, Imperial Japanese Navy, pretty much anything that's a naval subject from those periods. Occasionally I do a ship. And yeah, I will step outside. As the, the geeks know, I'm, I really like Spitfires. Um, they probably don't realize that I got interested in Spitfires because of the Seafire. Uh, I started building a couple of Seafires and, and uh, said, wait a minute, I got, I got to know more about this airplane. Next thing I knew, I had, I've got references that uh, are more about the Spitfire than they are about the Seafire. And pretty much with that, anything else I do is because of a group build or I just feel like doing something different just to do something different. Again, thanks for uh, inviting me. I'm glad I'm here. Hey, Tim, what was your, um, what was the first kit that you remember like fully completing all on your own? Do you remember which kit it was? Um, yes, it was the, um, I, I don't think it's frog. Maybe it is, but it's, uh, it was a British jet. Um, it's a Delta fighter. The kit has, I think makes it a two seater, but the real jet was a single seater. Cool. And, and I actually, uh, found one, uh, the same, there, there's actually a picture of me with that kit at my birthday. <laughs> and, a bunch awesome. of, and, a, and a bunch of cop, cop, uh, cupcakes yeah. for the uh, cake. Cool. And uh, I think I was seven. Wow. And, um, and I found that picture and I immediately went to eBay, found that same kid in the same boxing, ordered it and bought it. I, I paid way too much for it because it was super emotional and uh, built that. And, uh, but I built it with modern skills and it's on my shelf now. It's uh, that's with awesome the, with the the picture from when I was seven years old sitting underneath it. I, I did this kind of the same thing. The first model I ever built, like by myself. Well, my dad kind of helped me a little bit. Was the uh, the monogram F eight F the Bearcat little mm-hmm. seventy second scale kit. Same thing about a couple of years ago. I was like, man, I, I still wish I had that kit. So I got on Evil Bay and I found one for I don't know, it was almost nothing, you know, but it was still like in the wrapper and all that. Mm-hmm. And I it just sits on my shelf. I'll never, I don't, I'll never build it, but just to have it is super nostalgic. You know, it's cool. Yeah. Well, welcome. And yep. it's still a uh, really good kit too. And, and I do have from 1969, I have a A6M0 that I built, uh, the old Ravel kit. I've still got it. And um, wow. I think I repainted it at least twice, um, <laughs> including the markings, but I've still got yeah. it. And uh, um, that thing's followed me around through, you know, a dozen moves in the Navy and, uh, Cool, man. Um, all the way around, literally all around the world. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, it's funny Scott mentioned that. And uh, this is not one of the, I don't know, this is the first one that I ever finished, but I think I was six, seven years old and it was my birthday. And I got the, uh, I think it was Ravel, the Snap Tight USS uh, Enterprise. And here's an old Polaroid from way back in the day with a, uh, with me opening up my presents oh, on my birthday. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah. And right there's that Enterprise Ooh. and that little snap together. Sweet. Look at that. For the little listeners little out awesome. there, Rildo's holding up a photo of him in his underwear. Yeah. <laughs> in the <laughs> bathtub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Tim, since, you, since you're new to the show, what's on your bench, man? What you been working on? Well, um, gee, what am I working on now? It, working on... Um, some of the group builds for the uh, theme builds for the club. 
Uh, so one of the things we've got coming up for later in the year is uh, Stukas. So I've got a an Airfix uh, 72nd scale Stuka. Uh, it's a B model. And I'm as far as the, the cockpit, um, which is it's a, some exceptional detail on it. And uh, I'm at the point where um, I did have to put some seat belts on the uh, gunner seat, but otherwise everything's there. And uh, it even has a lot of um, sidewall detail, and uh, which is pretty fantastic. It's all in the kit. And uh, I've uh, put some color on that. And now I just need to put a little dry brushing on it. And then I'm going to call that done and start closing things up and uh, get to the painting, the painting part of it. So um, I, have to, I have to ask the most important question. Whitey, Drill, you guys know what I'm going to ask. It's a Stuka, right? So are you putting that big ass snake on the side of it? No. Oh, yeah. Man. No, I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing the uh, battle, uh, battle of Britain uh, early. Sweet. B, B Good choice. Because Good the, choice. Uh, I, I'm, I'm eventually going to build, and I've got all the kits. I'm going to build all of the aircraft that participated in the Battle of Britain. Uh, awesome. both, oh, that'd be uh, sweet. Both the uh, UK side as well as the uh, German and Italian. For those of you that don't realize it, the Italians participated in the uh, Battle of Britain on the uh, German side. So, see, Tim is also a great historical resource for us as well. Because I mean, yep, yeah. I mean, you, you alluded to the Spitfire earlier. If I want to know anything about Spitfire, I know who I'm going to first, right? Right there. Um, now, going back to your Stuka, who, what kit is that? Did you say the Airfix? Airfix. Or? Yeah, okay. it's the Airfix. So, kit. is that one of the more recent releases then? Because that detail looked pretty sharp that you uh, it did. held up there. I want to say 2015. Okay, so yeah, so oh, it's not an old, no. not an old uh, red red line box or whatever. Like, no, you know, no, no, no. The, this is uh, yeah, this is a relatively new, one of their new toolings. People whine about how the the uh, panel lines are too trenchy and the uh, plastics all soft. And I, you know, I kind of I generally cry BS on that. It's like if you know how to model, it's. It's I'm a I'm a fan of the recent Airfix release. You know, the, you hear a lot of people yeah. uh, slam on them, for lack of a better term, or there's probably worse terms out there I could use. But, um, I, um you know, the Sea Fury, uh, the the Blenheim. Uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly. For my Blenheim. English, it's uh, actually Blenheim. Folks. There you go. See, even the P51s, man, and those the P40s, and that. Yeah. They're, yeah. I mean, they're oh yeah, they're really nice. You know, I, the more recent hurricane. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So your listeners yeah. probably don't realize that. I, I know I say this occasionally in the club, but I've got 30 work in progress kits on my bench. Yeah. Um, That's and, a lot. You know, these guys can see it real quick. See, it's that big stack in the corner. Those are all the kits in different boxes that and, and literally currently in, in progress, in progress, wow. you know, and when I, I reach a point, you know, like with the Stuka, it's I got to wait for the paint to dry. So I'll instead of getting up and walking away from my bench, I'll just turn around, put it, put it back into its box, slide it out of the way, grab one of the other boxes. And do just the, the little, what do I need to, oh, I need to dry brush. Yeah, I just quick do some dry brushing. And just whatever it is until I reach a point where I say it's done and I stick it on the shelf. Got a little system going on over there. Oh, yeah. It's a huge production line. Uh, yeah. Huge. But I, always, huge. I, yeah. I, I try to do, I'll try to keep like two going at once. Just especially when the model, because the model bug will get will bite me. And mm -hmm. once the model bug bites you, 
I, I just, you know, I'll just keep two kind of going. And then eventually, you know, it's just because, you know, one's trying or whatever, or I don't feel like working on whatever that particular day. So I'm working on the other one and you just keep the cycle going. And I tend to actually build a little quicker than if I do just one at a time. And then the great thing is at the end, I got, I've got two that are, that are typically done. So yeah, it's, but now I've got like, I think I've got like five in squirrels in progress, but you know. Yeah. So it'll take me about uh, four to five months to finish one. And, uh, but because I've got 30 going on any given month, I'll finish a couple. And by the time of any given year is over with, I can usually say, yeah, I did 20 to 24, sometimes more, sometimes less. Yeah, I wish I could crank out 20 to 24 kits a year. Well, I, yeah, man. You, well, you got to remember, I also don't, I don't tend to weather like you guys do. I tend to, if I do anything, I'll just go light and it's usually a, a 10 second kind of, yeah, I'll just put a little bit of, of uh, pastel on this thing to make it look a little grimy and, and I'm done. Um, and it, mostly it's because I get to that point and I go, I'm not going to ruin this model by trying to weather it. I'm just going to call it done and, and put it on the shelf. So how many built models do you have, Tim? Roughly, do you think? Um, I remember being over there checking them all out, and that was quite a few. Yeah, so it's on the high side of uh, 350, and um, I've got uh, 75 of those are Spitfires alone, just 75, and then another got- 75 that are unbuilt. Spitfires. Damn! So you got 350 north of 350 Jeez. built. Holy shnikes, kids! Yes. In, in cabinets. Well, you got to remember in 72nd wow. scale, I can get 20 um, single engine fighters on one shelf where wow. if it's and I, the same, the same size shelf in another cabinet has three 148 scale single engine fighters on it. Cause that's all it'll fit. And it's because of those group bills you guys have made me do with the, uh, <laughs> you know, not a, what was it? The, not a British Spitfire, not a German yeah. 109 and, uh, and the 352nd. You're like, yeah, twist my arm. Okay, fine. I'll build this. Yeah. yeah those awesome. were hard, especially the Spitfire. I struggled with that one because yeah. it just, it was, it's too big a scale for me. It, it, there's, there's too much detail needed in order to make it look right in, in my mind, because I'm used to, I build something, I hold it off, you know, at, at arm's length and I go, yeah, that looks about right. And so I took- whereas, I do that with a, a 148 scale and I can still see way too much. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I got to put this in there. That's why it took 17 years for me to build that damn Mark 14. Mark 14, yeah. Jeez, but and anyway, I, in case I forgot, again, thank you so much for your help on that one because you really helped me figure out exactly what I needed to do and find the right markings and all that. And yeah, well, yeah, thank was, you. Big that help. Was fun that was to fun. watch it come together. Cool. Well, Tim, too, you helped a guy in the club with his Spitfire. He was doing one of the Edward 48 scale Spitfires and... You took it over from him and got got him past where he was having problems, didn't you? Seventy uh, second, yeah, it was a seventy second uh, Edward Spitfire that he struggled with, and um, he handed it to me and said, "Here, you just take it." Um, and I said, "Well, you know, if you just do this, this, and this, it'll get you back on track." I did that for him real quick, handed it right back to him, and suddenly he's like, "Okay, I, I, I'm going to finish this," and he did. He brought it to the next uh, meeting, and, and it was done. Yeah, it looked cool. Yeah. All right, Scott. So I got to hear what kind of squirrels you got running around over there. Well, I, you know, you guys would be proud of me. I, I have only had one squirrel 
on the uh, on the old table since March first. So working on the uh, the monogram A four, knocking out sort of um, two at once. So knocking out the the uh, March Madness build, which I'm probably not going to make, but I'll get it done this weekend because <laughs> it's it looks better than I thought it was going to look. So I don't want to rush it. So that ends um, tomorrow. I, I I'm not. There's no way. There's, I, I realize that. No, there's like, no way. Oops. I'm not I can't. I can't. Either. I just can't do it. And, and it, I just can't because I got I still have to paint all the bombs, paint the canopy. I have to figure out a mechanism to glue the to get the canopy to sit on the the rear deck. Right. Because it's just like flat on flat. You know, there's nothing. There's no like positive attachment. So I got to build some little support thing. I don't know why they do that with a four canopies. Like just like think about it, make it so there's some positive like reinforcement. So it and it's not just gluing a flat piece on a flat piece yeah it's just this is a thing get broken off but anyway so i've been i've i've been really happy and having a lot of fun because i've only really probably put about two weeks into this thing because i was gone for two weeks and so you know had i not been gone i would have definitely finished but it i think it's a testament to again going back to our episode with spencer it's like just don't don't sweat the the small stuff kind of like don't compete with yourself, like have fun with the build. And I'll tell you what, this is probably one of the coolest looking single engine jets I've done in a long time and just having fun with it. So I'm real excited to get that one done and can post some pictures up whenever I get finished. And then once I'm finished with that one, there's the, uh, the EA six a that I'm that's in the paint barn. It's getting painted as well. And then of course I'll probably jump on the, um, the SU 27 and finish that sucker up. But that's um that's what I got going on. Hopefully I can um like I said, hopefully I can hopefully I can finish that A4. I, I'm glad that I painted the tail though. I painted the the green part on the tail, I masked it and painted it, and yeah, it took forever, but I think it looks a lot better than just a decal. Um so yeah, I think um I think we're doing good. But yeah, man, it was um the like the bombs and the rockets and all the stuff. I mean it's it's such a well detailed little kit, man. I think I paid three dollars for it at a show. Oh yeah, you know? it goes cheap. Oh man. yeah, and it goes together. I mean, I had to put a couple of spreader bars, but other than that, I mean, it went together really quickly. Well, before um, the Hasagawa ones came out, those monogram A fours yeah. were were the creme de la creme. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's just a cool little kit. I love the markings that I chose and. I'm real, real jazzed about the weathering. It, it's, uh, I had some really good pictures and, um, oh man, I just can't wait to finish it. But I, I just don't think that now that it looks pretty cool, it looks better than I thought. I don't want to like try to hurry up and get it done tomorrow. Cause I'll end up screwing it up and you know, I don't want to do that. So I'll probably finish it this weekend. Well, it looks great, man. The green looks, looks awesome. Thanks, man. And that green yeah. stripe you got or you know twist going down the refueling probe that's really good. oh no dude that is probably one of my best mask jobs ever like even if you zoom you can zoom way in it's just but i took my time to wrap it and to measure it and all that and i actually wrapped two pieces at a time so that i got the the same you know spacing so yeah. it was yeah it was it's cool but the, so hopefully i can finish that up this weekend Keep cracking on the um, the EA six A and then the SU twenty seven. Those are the next. Uh, maybe not. You know, I'll probably work on the SU twenty seven and the EA six A at the same time. Um, 
But then after that, who knows? We'll see. You know, oh, something easy. You know, and a little teaser for our main topic, you know, for this show. You know, in Vietnam, the Marines, they use Jado bottles on those on their on their Skyhawks to take off a lot of times. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think there's any Jado bottles in 48 scale. It'd be something you could 3D print. Yeah, fairly so easy. Could, yeah, maybe Dave can yeah can throw an idea. Out. I mean, yeah, man. it's Marine Corps aviation, right? Heck yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be in Dave's wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah right man. in there. Cool. Anyway, that's what I got. Whitey, what you got going? I got well, that's it for Whitey going. now. Now, so going yeah, on to carry on. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, unlike unlike Tim with his thirty projects in 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 some phase of work, I, I like to stick. You all know I like to stick with one item at a time, and right now I'm way out of that uh, realm. I got four projects in, in work. What? Um, what? You know, March Four? Madness. How do you Ma- keep track? March Madness build is the AH1 Cobra. Okay, that's not going to get done by tomorrow. So I failed on on that uh, challenge. <laughs> uh, this past weekend, I did the forty eight hour build for the uh, folks uh, over over in the UK for the um, models for heroes. Uh, had a great time doing it. Um, uh, at the same time, I had other things planned. <laughs> that I didn't know about. Like I had to go to a party Saturday night. I had something else going on Sunday morning. Uh, so failed there too. And, you know, bottom line is the charity got double what their goal was though. So that's, oh, that's, that's good. So, uh, and had a great time uh, sitting online with the guys from the triple P um, and, uh, you know, all of us working uh, our shifts. They, they had, like, the U.K. contingent, and then it would turn off to um, us here in the States, and then would pass it off to the uh, – or actually, I think the Aussies would kick it off because they're, uh, you know, mm-hmm. their day starts first. So the Aussies uh, down there, the on-the-bench folks uh, would kick it off, and then it would uh, roll to the U.K. folks and then over to us. Um, uh, so we had a great time, Friday night, Saturday night, sitting here, and then uh, for uh, part of Sunday evening. Real good, real good fun. Uh, yeah. So anyway, for that, I'm, I'm building a Bearcat, a 48 scale Bearcat. Uh, it's going to be a Blue Angel uh, when it's when it's finally done. Um, and let's see what else. The FJ2 Fury still sits back there. I got to still figure out that paint problem I was having. And yeah, that in was the weird, meantime, man. I finally got in the mail my tracks and barrel for the M4 Sherman that I'm doing for the Triple P's. And for Sherman build. So again, I kind of committed myself to a lot of group and uh, group builds uh, th- th- this early on in the season here. And so that's taken me way out of my, um, not my comfort zone, but I just don't like to have more than one project going at a time. I want to get something finished and move on to the next. And uh, that's not happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I'm at. You know, it's oh, funny. You mentioned the uh, the Models for Heroes charity build this last weekend. The Canadian guy, uh, the Robbie Nuffs, he's also on YouTube as the uh, yeah model playing or the model guy. The model guy. Yeah, I he. Uh, I, <laughs> I guess his wife was there with him, and he was like shaking up some paint or trying to open some paint, and it was it was yellow, and the paint like exploded and it got like all over his face. And yeah. Everything. 
I, oh, I, I saw no. the still photos, but I wasn't here for the live event. I was I was out that yeah. night when that happened. And, uh, and then I saw his photos that he posted up on his, uh, I think he had them up on his Facebook page. Yep. That's right. Yellow, <laughs> yellow paint all over. His, it looked like, looked like one of those guys that huff paints down in the uh, alleyway somewhere, man. <laughs> not good. And you can tell too, that like, he was completely taken, like, like off gut, you know, it was like completely unexpected. Just like <laughs> classic. I hope that, um, I, I think that was recorded on youtube so yeah i think it was yeah <laughs> <laughs> boom he was a super nice guy though he he sat in with us um again during the with with myself representing the geeks and then the triple p guys um and then a couple other fellas uh a uh, guy grant out there on the west coast he's in the la area orange county um uh, he, he was building up a, a deuce and a half and that's what i almost went with for the build i have that tamia deuce and a half and um i thought well a vehicle might be an easier thing to do in 48 hours because you get you know get the assembly boom hit it with the paint um but i chose to just go go you know since we're aircraft centric i thought well i'll i'll roll with an aircraft that's cool well sorry i missed out on the uh miles for heroes build but you know i originally said i was going to do it and then i get told hey that's the weekend we're dewinterizing the camper and i was like oh crap and so I was trying to juggle everything. I was trying to make it back. We weren't far. But I was trying to make it back, but I just couldn't make it back on time. And my plate was slowly filling up and and I just had to get the camper taken care of. So wish I would have joined. It sound like fun. I did the one from last year. I don't think I finished either. I think it's still languishing around. I can't remember if I finished or not. I have to go check it. But uh, I'm still in work on the uh, MiG-23. I went ahead and I wasn't happy with the way I scribed the nose radome because on that kit, that's so far, it's really the only, uh, you know, gotcha on that kit is the nose radome is just like maybe half, you know, a quarter of a millimeter too big, bigger than the rest of the fuselage. And so all I did was I just sanded it, you know, just sanded it, kind of took some of the, the height out of it and it blended just fine. And so I had to go back and I had to go to rescribe that line and right across the top, I figured, oh, I thought the brown color would cover it up and, and you could see it and it looked like crap. And so sat there and I was like, oh, I might as well fix it. So I went ahead and fixed it and rescribed it. So I had to, you know, sand off some of the paint. So I had to go back and touch that up. And so that's what I was going to do tonight after we get done here is go back and touch that up and uh, keep working on that. And then my March Madness build is the 01 Bird Dog. And it's the Model USA kit. And boy, did I, you know, I was kind of like let down, honestly, because I've always wanted to do that kit. You know, I was like, oh, look, it would look cool. You know, you you, you never see an, an 01 Bird Dog. And so I was going to do it. I was on the fence about if I want to do the one with the dog tongue on the side. And then I was like, nah, I'm just going to do a regular line one with just, you know, the US Air Force on the side. and but I was looking at it and I went to go put the the braces that go from the, the wing to the fuselage. And one of them was like a whole, like half a millimeter short and wasn't meeting up with the fuselage. And I was like, well, what the crap? And so I got to looking at it. And if you look at it from the bottom, the whole fuselage is like twisted. And I was just, ah, crap. I mean, if you look at it from the front, you know, it's not really noticeable. But now that I notice it, I just can't get past it. I'm just, ah, man. So I went ahead and built a little extension on that strut. And so I've got to go back and trim it back to where it will fit. 
that I can get on to paint on that. And uh, I'm not going to, unfortunately, I'm not going to have it done for March Madness. And, uh, and also too, like you, I'm in the triple P Sherman group build and I got an Egyptian Sherman that is primed and it's just ready for paint. I just, for lack of a better word, you know, I just not really scared, but I just, I don't know how to paint. A, I don't know how to paint something like that. You know what I mean? It's like completely out of my wheelhouse. And I'm like, uh, what do I do? You know, cause you see where the guys will go in and, uh, they'll paint white on the high areas and they'll leave the black primer in the lower areas and then color you modulation paint, paint it just like you paint the plane man yeah, that's exactly. what i did on the t55 i didn't do anything different and we know how that thing turned yeah. out it's okay it's not too bad so i mean don't don't overthink it man just just paint it you know how to you know you man, you mr nationals winner come on man just paint it just paint it like <laughs> you paint a an aircraft it'll look awesome man i got faith I got faith in you, brother. Uh, so, I, I mean, I was watching like night shifts, masterclass videos on how to do it. And I was even getting further wrapped around the axle and shit, man. I don't watch that guy's crap anymore because that just <laughs> makes me feel inferior and shitty modeler. So I don't watch his stuff anymore because every time I do, I'm just like, number one, I don't get anything built because I'm just like, how the hell can he? He's so good, you know, and his videos are anyway. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you can do it, man. It'll look good. I know. No, I'll get it. Yeah, so I'll get on. That's probably what I'll end up doing. And uh, it's an Egyptian one. So it's like a desert sand color with olive drab uh, stripes across it. Or I don't know if it was olive drab and they painted the desert sand over it, whatever. But that, that's how it's going to be. And the cool thing is there are only two decals on the entire thing. And they go Ooh, on the better. side of the hole. And, you know, I'm kind of and I'm, I'm kind of happy with it because. I was talking to TJ about it because he knows those Osaka Shermans pretty well. And I was like, hey, man, aren't these things like cast, you know, steel and everything? He's like, yeah, the deterrent may need some. And I was like, and I found a video using the um, Vallejo resin primer that they have comes in a little tube. And I just squared some of that stuff into my little uh, paint palette, mixed it with some water, and I just dabbed it on. And let it dry, and I gave that. I was like, first time ever doing it, and I was like, wow, it came out great. Because I kind of did the same way I do ordnance on Navy Marine Corps airplanes with the stippling, you know, and to get that rough thermal protected layer. And I like the way it came out, so I'm hoping that I can do it justice. I don't get laughed off the, off the, you know, off the group there. No way, man. It's gonna be awesome. So yeah, they, won't, well, they won't laugh at you. Yeah. So that's it for me that I got working on. I'm trying to. Oh, and then. I still have that P3 that I got to do for a buddy of mine that is just waiting to be painted. And I just, I haven't had time to stick it in the paint barn. So, all right. And before we move on to the rest of the show, let's take a second and pause and hear from our proud sponsors, Rock Rosnack and Burt Kenzie and the fine folks at Detail and Scale. Hey there, model geeks. Rock Rosnack at Detail and Scale here, talking about our book, U.S. Navy and Marine Carrier-Based Aircraft of World War II by Bert Kinsey and yours truly. This profusely illustrated book covers every Navy and Marine carrier-based fighter, scout dive bomber, and torpedo bomber that reached at least the flying prototype stage of development during World War II. The wide range of aircraft that are covered include the well-known designs of the famous Grumman Cats, from the Wildcat to the Bearcat, 
all the way to the more obscure types like the Vought Flying Pancake and the Consolidated Seawolf. In all, the book covers 25 different aircraft with more than 230 photographs and 30 color profiles that complement an informative text. Also included are appendices with theater maps and Navy paint schemes and markings used during the war that are covered with more than 60 illustrations of artwork created specifically for this publication. The printed edition sells for $21.99 while the digital editions are $14.99. All detailed scale books are available in print on demand as well as digital editions in both Apple Book and Amazon Kindle formats. You can get more information, see sample pages, and get ordering links for our books at our website www.detailandscale.com And while you're there, check out our dozens of aircraft photo sets and the many scale modeling product reviews you'll find. That's www.detailandscale.com And now, back to the Model Geeks Podcast. Alright, well thanks Rock. All right, it's that time. It's time for some geeks news. And I know just, you know, taking a quick perusal, lapping the pattern, what's going out there. And there's some there's some decent, juicy news out there. So, Tim, what have you heard? Anything good? Uh, well, uh, I would think so. I think it would be awesome news. Uh, of course, it's in 72nd scale. You guys may or may not be aware of it. Um, our Mojave has... Uh, um, basically announced that uh, just recently they're going to release a Kawasaki KI-84, 72nd scale. And um, I got to say, these guys make, they're giving to me a run for their money in terms of uh, quality. Uh, the kits are, are, they go together well, they're highly detailed, they're not too expensive, and they're very accurate. Um, so they're, right now they've, uh, the KI-84, um, they're going to be two variants in the box, which from what I, I'm not big on uh, Japanese uh, uh, Army Air Force uh, fighters, so I'm I'm not exactly uh, an expert. It appears the difference between the Otso and the Ko um, is uh, the oil intake, or I believe that's what it is, oil cooler intake. Um, that may be the only difference that it appears in the box. Um, RS models, uh, which is another, uh, they're pretty good. Uh, I would say limited run. Um, I've built a few of their models. They're, uh, they're not too bad. They got a, a KI-100-1. Uh, uh, that's the uh, radial engine version of the KI-61, if you're familiar with, with uh, the difference. They, uh, that, that kit comes with a resin engine. And um, like I said earlier, it's a limited run. So my experience with RS is make sure you do a lot of drive fitting. But at the end of the day, you've got a really nice model on the table. That looks the part. It's uh, and usually has some pretty good detail. Um, you guys are familiar with big plane kits, right? Um, yes. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So they they are releasing a Baycar Baractar. It's a UAV, and guess what? It's one of those UAVs that Turkey gave uh, a whole bunch of them to Ukraine. So it's kind of timely. Um, but they just announced that they're going to put that out. It looks like it's 3D printed. Um, and they're also going to release it in 32nd scale as well as 35th scale. Um, and rumor has it they're going to release it in 24th scale. So oh, wow. um, if, you're, if you want some really current 
uh, aviation uh, in the current news, then uh, there's something you can look forward to, possibly in your favorite scale. Um, let's see. And uh, why do you did a uh, uh, one of those um, PB4Y2s, right? The the big uh, the big um, four engine privateer. I did the dash one. So basically, you did the dash took, one. Yeah. Uh, so converted a monogram B24D right. to the uh, to the PB4YTAC one, which yeah. was still called Low Liberator. They didn't oh, use privateer. It. Yeah, it wasn't, they it wasn't a privateer the, yet because it yeah. didn't have the big single tail on. Yeah, it. I so, do have a conversion set for Dash Two though. Mm -hmm. um, it's an old one. I can't even think of the name, but I bought it at the Nats with a couple that was they have set up as a vendor. Right. Um, it's resin, but it's kind of crude. It's again, probably from the eighties or something like that, but yeah. until something else comes along and unless I win the lottery and can find a cutting edge conversion, because when they, yeah, when those things do the pop, they're, they're right around 800 plus, you know, I'm not doing that. No. <laughs> oh yeah. man, that's crazy. My, yeah. my, you know, like, like all models, we all have our Holy grails that we wait for. And I would love to see, um, who would be a candidate to do a privateer in 48 scale right now? Probably um, maybe Ravel. I was going to say or monogram. Like they're bringing the you monogram know, label uh, back, right? You know, they certainly yeah. had their, their payday with all the other 48 scale farmers that they did. So True. Um, maybe they, maybe they roll back into the game with that or, or someone like ICM would, you know, with, yeah. with their yeah. line of kits that they've yep. had. So they might do that. Yeah. Yep. So, so I bring that up because a model is releasing a, uh, AS, ASM N2 bat, which was the, um, uh, um, a, uh, radar and I think TV guided, I know it was radar guided, um, glide bomb that was used late in the war underneath the, uh, PB4Y privateers. And, um, the, uh, they include in their, on their, uh, I think it's on, they may be on Facebook, but I know on their website, they have a couple of pictures and they include photos uh, of it hanging on uh, uh, privateers towards the end of the war. And they were used anti-ship, um, as an anti-ship missile. Oh, yeah. I think is what the ASM stands for, air to surface missile. That'd be an interesting item to hang underneath one of those. Oh, I'm going to get definitely going to get three or four of those because I've got uh, I have a couple of uh, I've got one. I may have two um, privateers done by Ravel in 72nd scale. Yeah, it looks like I've got one, but there may be a second one inside the box. And then I do have a conversion, uh, an old vac form conversion um, for a Ravel uh, PB4 um, or B24 to convert it to, to a PB4Y2. Yeah, that's what it is. PB4Y2. And it, same thing. I, I want to hang those under because that just looks too cool to see oh, yeah. big old four engine straight wing bomber uh, with these, you know, big old missiles, you know, hanging underneath one each wing. It's like, yeah, I got I got to have that. That's that's just too cool. Yeah. And, and then, then the last thing uh, that I find interesting, uh, IBG just released um, and I've got them. I brought them to the club meeting recently. The uh, Focke-Wulf 190, FW190D Dora series. Um, they're releasing a D9, a D11, a D13, and a D15. I've got the D9 and the D15, and there's like three or four variants of the D9. And who is this doing this one again, Tim? IBG. 
Okay. I don't, yeah, just, what do the kits look like? Uh, they're beautiful. Um, they, they look like Tamiya. Um, and I've seen a couple of builds online and the guys are any faults they're finding are of their own making because wow. either they cool. don't follow the instructions or yeah. they think they know better. Um, it yeah. does have some photo etch <laughs> and the photo etch is required in a couple of places. Uh, okay. Um, I, the coolest thing I think is, uh, the, they include a fully detailed engine because you can see the back end of the engine through the wheel well and they give you the whole yep. thing though. Wow. Not that's just cool. The back end, what yeah, you can see, cool. they give you the whole thing. Cool, man. Um, yeah. All kinds of different uh, um, cowling configurations and bumps on the wings. And yeah, it's pretty the impressive. D, the D, the D series of the one ninety is definitely even when, you know, that's my, probably my favorite of all the world war two fighters. Um, even more than a one Oh nine, but I've got a couple of the Jerry Crandall did a couple books mm -hmm. on the D nine and the D 11, 12 and 13. And, um, they're the leather bound limited edition, but they're both, um, the same number and they're signed by like all the, the interior flat part is signed by a bunch of German fighter pilots from it's they're neat books, man. And, it, and those are like my prized possession of all my books. Those are the only two that. I would cry if something happened to them. <laughs> yeah, you, you're going to be buried with those? <laughs> Probably. Yes. You know, another yeah. real quick, another you guys brought up, you know, big wing bombers is, you know, it's not really a bomber, but the P4M Mercator. I'm yeah, surprised there's not even one of those, like even from Hasegawa, because, you know, VQ1 flew those. But man, those big those those big wing kits are just. I think they're pretty comp. It seems like they're probably pretty complicated, expensive to do versus a you know smaller well, forty eight scale or something. That like that. that and what's going to sell. I mean, we know what yeah. a Mercator is because yeah, we're Navy guys. Yeah, yeah. Who's going? Who the average Joe's going to be like? Well, yeah. yeah, I think they only built like twelve of them anyway. Well, they were used pretty extensively with the they VQ were. fellas, though. Yeah, yes, they, they were. were. And the what was it? The Martin Mars, which was a little bigger. There's like yeah. four of them built, and I think there's only one or two still flying. They use them for uh, fire yeah, the firebombers. Yeah. Yep. Golly. Yeah. yeah those so things many, are huge. There's so many subjects. You know, despite the, how we've been spoiled these last few years with everything that, you know, these fantastic kits coming out, there's still stuff out there. That, man, I want well, the privateer being one. Yes. And then, um, you know, you, you said the, the Martin Mars. Well, a Martin Mahler 48 scale would be freaking awesome, man. That plane just looks badass yeah didn't somebody do one of those 72 scale i know that they, they, they're they exist in 72 but i thought I think, well um one in collect air collect air did one in um, is why is that scale is that plane is that plane is that one at the naval aviation museum in pensacola is that one in the inside yeah yeah i remember there was a really cool looking fighter bomber that had like really long main gear and it was like just like super beefy looking almost like a navalized yeah. It's got like a, yeah. the same engine as a B-36. And if wow, you look at it wow. from the front, it's actually canted a little bit because of the torque. Was, wow, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. the, the Mahler was, wasn't it the competition to the Skyraider? Yep. Yeah, it was. And, you know, and it's they funny. still built a bunch of them because it was a damn good airplane. Yep. And the Skyraider, too. If you look at the Skyraider, the tail's got a little twist in it, too. Yeah. And that's to account for the torque when you throttle up in the Skyraider that, that so much power that engine produced that they yeah. had to count they had to build in that counter 
that twist in the tail for that counter torque. Yeah. Funny story. I, I when I tried to build the Hasegawa uh, Sky Raider back in the eighties, um, I actually tried to sand that out because I thought it was a, a warped fuselage. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I ruined the kit, but it, it was just, I, I just didn't realize that it was wrong and, and then read it after I finally threw it away. I read that it, that it was actually in there. I, I actually had mm-hmm. some references at one point on it and um, it was like, okay. And then I got another one and, and I've still got that one, but uh, it, it hasn't, it hasn't survived well on the moves, but uh, I still have it. Another air, helicopter airplane that has that same thing kind of is the hind. If you look at a hind from the front, the hind does not sit straight up and down. It's got like a five degree list to the right. And that's, oh. it was, des- it was, that was designed inside into the, because of the torque, I believe for the main rotor. Scott, hey, I learned something today. What you got, man? You, know, you hear any you hear anything in the grapevine? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve what we saw here recently. I'm gonna let Whitey jump on that one because I know he's been anxiously waiting this one particular kit. So I'm gonna I'm gonna re- I'm gonna be quiet on that one. But I did see I think Zoki Mira they're coming out with uh I think it's a 30 second scale. Oh, what was it like the there's some new um, Japanese World War II aircraft that they're coming out with. Oh yeah, um, you mentioned I, that. I, yeah, I just I I'm sorry, I'm it's KI 100. KI 100. Yes, thank you, yeah. thank you. Going back yeah, to what so, Tim was talking about, it's the yeah. KI 61 conversion. Yeah, it's it's um, Radio. you know, it seems like it. That's uh, pretty cool, you know. Um, so and and then of course, but the one I was real excited about, I'm gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be quiet on that. Why do you talk about that? Because I know he's, dude. You're you're really looking forward to that one. So I I, that's all I got. So over to Whitey. <laughs> oh well, okay. So Zukumaru is also, and then it's no secret, but uh, here pretty soon they'll be having the uh, 148 F4G coming out. Oh yeah, man. And, uh, yeah, man. That's one of my favorites from uh, the Desert yep. Storm campaign, just because it's uh, super cool loadouts on them, and uh, mm-hmm. it, and you know the Phantom's last hurrah, and it's just cool looking with yeah. that long nose and the weird electronics on it and all that kind of stuff so yeah I'm, I'm with you just it's just the funky it's the cool i don't know i just love the weird schemes the weird yeah. you know configurations and and uh the g is just i'm excited that they're coming I'm, i was you know talking to the good folks at tamia and I'm like pushing them to to do a G. I you know I don't know who knows. You think they'll, they will or I, what's the? I don't I don't know. I mean I hope so. What's the of course pulse I hope. there? Do they want to stick to the yearly models? Yeah, I, I don't I I don't know. I all I know is that I begged George to please do a G, and he just said, he just smiled and said, "We'll see." You know, <laughs> he's not telling yeah. me anything. <laughs> but um, no, I I think that uh, you know, it, and I haven't. I think Gabe's built um one of the zokimura f4s and he said it went together really well no real issues at all oh yeah nice looking kids yeah so i I think you know i'll definitely pick up you know one of these whenever they come out so pretty excited about it yeah cool so going back to the f4g real quick and i don't i don't know a whole lot about it but there were some i think like 12 of them that had the single frameless windscreen the front, the windscreen did not have the typical Phantom frame yeah, like on an, it, like an F fourteen forward windscreen or an F uh, F fifteen, like an Eagles type. Weren't those the ones that were used in Desert Storm though? 
no, not I don't exclusively, know. but I mean, yeah, I there, was, there was a mix of them. Hmm. Yeah, I want to like say said, that, yeah, like you said, there weren't a whole lot of them that had that particular configuration that the frameless. So I think there's still pictures of some that um, that have the standard, you know, windscreen. So, yep. I would imagine cool, that these be guys will probably include that. Ravel included it in their 30 second scale. They did. Yeah. Cool. And oh, I, I know my, for myself, there was a, um, I came across wanting, you know, me, I like to dig boxes of obscure crap at model shows. And I, <laughs> and I came across a vacuum foam, uh, F4G canopy, uh, in that configuration. And I was about to buy, it. I think we were off to go get tacos or something. So I left it and it came back and it was gone. Cool. So, oh man. Rule number one. Yeah. I don't just I think the first just, time that's happened to me. Yeah. No kidding. Right. <laughs> happened at Nats. So there was a, yeah. what the hell was it there was um and it was a good price too and we were gonna like we had to like go do an interview or something and i, I think it was it was a tamiya kit i think and it was uh it was still in the shrink wrap and it was um god what the hell was it i can't remember what it was anyway um i came back and damn thing was gone Hey, hey, Frildo, there is uh, online, there are some pictures of the uh, occasionally of an F4G in real life pictures um, that show the uh, that smooth um, windscreen. Yeah. Um, but most of the ones that I can find that show a lineup um, mm -hmm. that say Desert Storm on them are uh, most of the aircraft seem to have the windscreen with the framed okay um because but, the... but then are, but there's more you know and then there's a number of pictures that are purported to be from desert storm uh, that show the the smooth windscreen but it doesn't it doesn't say it, it's not it's like a a drawing mm. as opposed to an actual photograph well, I'm sure once this episode drops, we'll probably get some emails from the listeners about it. Yeah, they should. But I did find something on ARC that talks about it. And they say that uh, mo mainly the St. Louis Air National Guard Gs are the ones that had the smooth, mm -hmm. you know, frameless windscreen. But also some RF4Cs had it, some F4Es and F4Gs. So Were they in the same uh, wing? Um, it, it really doesn't say it just says oh, it um, for say. like the G's it says um, it's got yeah. it has the Bino numbers too. Right. Because for logistics, you would tend to want to put those, keep those guys together. Yep. The uh, Indiana Air National Guard, the 560, okay, the 561st Tactical Fire Squadron Desert Storm. 91 transferred to the 190th Fighter Squadron, 124th Fighter Group. And they were the last active U.S. Air Force F-4 squadron. So, I don't know. I'm sure someone out there knows and can right. enlighten us. Because I would like to know. Because it's just it's kind of cool to see that. I, I got to admit, that's a that's unique. I never heard had heard of that. Then again, I don't I don't follow um, jets much. Um, although I, I freely admit that the uh, the Phantom is one of those jets that um, I occasionally almost click on buy. And um, sometimes I'll I'll pine for uh, that's because it's just a cool jet, and uh, um, I just I've always liked the look of a Phantom, and uh, 
Well, Tim, if you, if, if you ever want to build a kit where you just like smile and you don't have to stress and that 48 scale to me, F4, it really is that good. I mean, it's just, it's, it just, everything fits perfectly. You don't need putty. You don't even hardly even need Mr. Surfacer. It's just right. f- f- stress-free, easy build. You know, everything makes sense. It's just, you know, and there's a bazillion schemes. I'm sure they're going to come out with different variants. So if you, you know, wait for your favorite one, I would, I might just buy you one. It's going to show up on your, de- on your uh, front door. <laughs> if, if Mr. If Mr. Tamiya releases one in 72nd scale, you know, you heard it here first, I'll buy one. Gotcha. <laughs> All right, Whitey, what else do you hear? Uh, okay, via Instagram, um, there's a uh, word going around out there that uh, from a former Kitty Hawk employee reports that Trumpeter has purchased the Kitty Hawk and Panda mold. So mm-hmm. stop paying exorbitant amounts of money for the Kitty Hawk kits that are out there floating around because you're going to see them reboxed. Yep. Maybe we all knew that though, right? Oh, yeah. You know? you know, it's probably all the same company, it's the same guys. And, you know. Yeah. I mean, those helos were out for what three weeks when then it was announced that Kitty Hawk was going tits up. What helos? The sixties. Uh, yeah, the sixty series that they came out with. Yeah. Okay. And they were out for a hot minute, and then oh hey uh, yeah we're no more. I mean, well, we'll see what we'll see what comes forth from the Kitty Hawk. I mean, I bought a whole crap ton of them, but I got them off of. Um, we're not getting them. It's Brew Brothers, so they were pretty decent prices. You know, I did I did buy a whole bunch of them, <laughs> but I'm going to keep them though. I, I never planned on getting rid of them because yeah, one of these days I need to be build some helicopters. You know, I'd like, I'd like I hope it comes to fruition because I'd, I'd like to get um, the Banshee and the GR1 Jaguar. Yeah, for a couple yeah. of kits I've been looking around for in the meantime, yeah. and when I do come across them, the prices are ridiculous. Oh yeah, and. Um, sites that i have seen or shops that you know they, they're advertised as being available i've ordered them and then i get an email a couple of days later saying oh we really don't have that it's still on our page but sorry you know so yeah ah, all right update your i figured i'd come page. across one yeah <laughs> update. <laughs> uh, speaking of updating pages and um, online buying um <clears throat> you know rolling through facebook last night or the night before you know, it was last night uh, I'm a Barracuda Studios. Uh, I'm, I love their page, so I'm, I'm on. I'm on there all the time. Uh, Roy Sutherland of Barracuda Studios. I, I always love hitting his vendor table at Nats. He's a uh, such a nice guy and a real pioneer in the resident aftermarket accessory game. So he posted up on Facebook yesterday that business, frankly, has not been good um, due to a variety of circumstances. Anything from COVID impacting. Uh, shows i know he, you know vending at shows is a big part of uh what he does uh anything it, it rating to inflation and even the russian invasion of the ukraine it's all it seems to be conspiring to have uh impacting sales at any rate um but the his site is there and the site is up and running and the products uh his stuff's just top notch so when i saw his post i immediately responded that i would uh i'll, I'll plug his business and products right here on our podcast uh, as well as do some shopping. I know he's got a couple of items that I'm uh, meaning to pick up. And um, I have used his stuff before and picked up products. Of, you know, whenever I've seen his table set up at Nats, I'm always over there grabbing stuff. Um, you know, any, you know, primarily he's World War II subjects. Uh, Kate is mostly, yeah, to World War II subjects in all scales, as well as uh, the outstanding line of Barracuda Kales decals. 
Um, one of the items that he does in that line is uh, cockpit placard and yes. stenciling. Yep. And I've used those on the Tamiya 32 scale Mustang I've done. And I certainly have a set of them for my 32 scale Mosquito as well. Because I just want to dress up that cockpit really nice. And those things are perfect for that. I've got his so, pair um, ones. So as well. get on there and uh, check out his uh, his site. It's at www.barracudadecals.com. And uh, awesome stuff. You know, all scales, even 124 scales. He's got stuff for the Airfix 124 um, Typhoon, as, as well as the um, fan, you know, that giant Hellcat they have. Um, so check them out, man. We're here yeah. to help the hobby. And, uh, you know, when I hear that someone like that is, you know, frankly, you know, not generating sales, then I'm more than happy to say, hey, you know, Roger that we'll step in and do what we can from our modest uh, little show we have here. Oh, definitely. And I know his stuff is pretty much a drop fit, too, because when I built the Ravel 32nd scale G10, I used all of his um, accessories and aftermarket stuff for that kit. And they just fit. I had no I had no problems at all with it. Great. Stuff. I, I, I used uh, some of his Spitfire stuff. Just to, I think I used the door and the seat and some placards and interior details on the Mark 14 that I did. And uh, I, I just love the Barracuda stuff. So I'll certainly, you know, there's no. Yeah. I'll start. Just, yeah. Yeah. I'll stuff start. for British, British. Subjects yeah. It's just well. doesn't Great. get any better. And the castings are just like perfect. You know, it's just very high quality stuff. So, you know, please, yeah, Whitey said, man, just get out there and buy some Barracuda stuff. I'm going to. I'm, I don't even need it. I'm going to buy it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got to check my stash. I think I got some. I got the Ravel G6 as well that I'm going to do. And I have to see yeah, what, what else I need good, to get. From. Lots of good stuff, man. And the fit, like the fit's just like perfect. Yeah. You know, boop, drop fit. And so I got to see what, I know I've got some stuff from Barracuda Cal for it. I just got to go. I can see, make, make sure I have everything. Yeah. I think I'm going to yeah. get that uh, pilot for my uh, 124th Spitfire. So, so that I've got a pilot standing next to it for school. That'd be cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, it, I can't, it'll be my first figure. Never done a figure before. When that Airfix 124 scale Mark 9 comes out, I can see him doing just like loads and loads of stuff for it. And I'll I'll buy it all, you know, it'll be cool. Yeah. <laughs> Never build it, but you know, I still have it. <laughs> Dream. Well, the only thing that I have is I was scrolling through uh Facebook and uh my our my buddy Gil Hodges down there at IPMS First Coast, Nautilus Models is doing a 3D print of the PC6 catapult for World War II seaplanes in all three scales, 72, 48, and 32nd. And uh, Gil had the test shots up on his uh, Facebook page, and it looks really sharp. I'm in for at least two. Well, I mean, it's kind of coincides with this episode, <laughs> too. You know, it's coming. I, I got I got some seaplanes that need to sit on those. Or float, what are they called? Float planes, I, I guess. Yeah. So now, Whitey, would your Coast Guard cutter, would it have one of those on there too? Or would it just be on that cradle like what you have it? No, those those cutters, they just crane them off the side and drop oh, them okay. in the water. <laughs> <laughs> we're not naval aviators. Yeah. <laughs> well, those those were kind of an after, you know, those cutters were, I, I don't know exactly. They were built before. You know, they were built before in like the, the 20s, yeah. 30s. Um you know, so that's, you know, you look at pictures in the, you know, my reference was um, the Steve Ginter book on the duck and all the Coast, 
Coast Guard pictures. They're just sitting on the cradle and they're just craning them off over the side and picking them up when they come back in. I'd love That's to do cool. a kingfisher though, sitting up I on was. a, you know, or yeah, you man. know, you, you just got me thinking of another uh, wish list item right there. It was uh, the SOC sock seagull would be awesome too, in forty eight scale. Yes, it would, especially after uh, when they when the RV petrol found the uh, Indianapolis and they saw the uh, wreckage of the two that they had. They were down there. I think were they um, still operating those down there at that point in the war. They were on there that it's wow. it's in the wreckage. And Jeez. didn't um CM is it CMK? No, Checkmaster Kids. They did one what was it, the 72 scale? The SO they did a C Mu. Uh okay. It's that really weird, ugly looking inline engine deal. Yep. Oh yeah, that's that awesome. might have been what they had. Yeah. I like ugly airplanes though. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did too. That's why, you know, I don't tell the wife, but I peed the tea on that uh amusing hobby, uh whatever that thing is called, that German <laughs> yeah, forty six. I'm telling Vertal helicopter thing. I just it just looks cool, man. I'm like, man, you should build it, man. You should I'm, build it. It looks like what, twelve pieces, what, according to like it, you know, so James James from over there just making conversation. That was his forty eight hour build, was that thing. I was the yeah. same man. Save it, save it for next year, either for like March Madness or your 48. <laughs> yeah. Rather than trying to do the damn bird dog and scratch built the Ugh, cockpit and doing man. all that stuff. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll press on with it and get it done. It it'll be yeah, it's still still in the back of the shelf over there. Yeah, it'll look good. Okay. And uh I was doing a quick rundown again because we have our uh geeks, model geeks, A4 group build, and there are a lot of awesome builds going on. I'm kind of, you know, excited I, to see. I know. Are you guys, are you guys going to do one? <laughs> it's on, uh, it's on the list. It's come on, on the man. List. Come on, man. Yeah. See, yet again, oh. another group build I've got <laughs> wrangled into. But I mean, why do you can use your, can't you use your, the A4 that you just finished? Just, it was pretty recent. I mean, it counts. I you know. Sheet. I'll, I'll bang one out. I finished cool, one before, after Whitey did. Yeah. He the did A4 that for him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you eh. uh, worst case scenario, <laughs> you guys can just bring those, you know. But I think at, at last good. count, we're up to 146. That's crazy, man. Builds. That is crazy. Would it be even crazier if everybody brings their damn A4 <laughs> the next? They're gonna be like, God damn you, model geeks, We're taking up all of our spaces, you know, yep. one entry. Yeah, that'd be kind of neat though. It would be cool. Yeah. And this is a uh, the group build entry. Is that what it is? Yeah. 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 Or the category where, yeah, because the, isn't that the one where the guys are, the Sherman is going to go into that group yep. build category? So you guys are competing with the, uh, we will. Yeah. With ourselves. It? Triple <laughs> P. Well, I mean, yeah. 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 It'll be the yeah. model geeks against the triple P dudes. Yeah. yeah man. Battle of the podcast. Oh, we already do something like that. And uh, so, so is this a for? Uh, it, I'm I'm not on Facebook, so I don't I don't know anything about this. Is this a uh, um, any scale? Or any scale? It, any manufacturer? Any version? Any any doesn't matter. You can carve just, it out of soap if you want to. You can. Yep. It, well, if I can carve it out of soap, um, freaking in there, man. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Any scale? Any 
it doesn't matter. Just build an A4. That's all. Yeah. I was going to do a 30-second scale A4, but I just I ran out of time. So that's why I was like, oh, I'll do the monogram kit. And, and yeah, you should has, do one, Tim. It just has to be uh, ready for nationals. Yep, that's it. Yeah, I'm going to be there. I might cool, as well. Man. I might as well add to the 150 you, you, models that are going to be there. Yeah, you know, yet one yeah. one aircraft that uh, you know is uh, uh, hiding in amongst all the other ones. Yep, stick me in with the 172nd guys. Well, and real quick before we move on to um, new kits that we bought, uh, as I'd mentioned before, you know the Musaru three cup where it was the uh, build off between all the different podcasts. And uh, we all had to build a, this year's selection was a, a Gundam and old Mike basket over at the plastic model mojo. He ended up winning with his entry. And I think it looks sharp. I got to admit that's when I saw how he did it and with the base. And I was like, Oh man, you know, that's where I suck at is I, like I, I am not artistic when it comes to bases. I was tell, I was talking to my wife about it the other night, and I was like, "Yeah, you remember that contest I was doing?" And I was building that robot-looking thing. I was like, "I didn't win." And the guy that won had the same kit that I did. I think three or four of us had the same the same kit, and he put on this really cool base where it's a cutting mat, and he's got an exacto knife, and and I was like, "That was just awesome how it tied the hobby into it." Yeah. And I was yeah, like, it was, it was well that's deserved. Pretty, that's pretty smart. It yeah, was cool. Yeah, it's good. Congratulations, good. Mike. Yep. Yep. All right. So now, what what'd you buy? What'd you spend some money on? <clears throat> Tim, what'd you buy? Well, I bought a um I bought a couple of things. At Old Dominion, I picked up a uh Airfix Mosquito B16. It's the uh um, two stage Merlin. So it's the, it's got a longer, the nacelles are a little longer with the nose and, uh, you can get some in interesting, um, uh, markings for those. Um, I've got that one. And then, uh, also, and I bought that from Mark at Starfighter decals. And the also, the other thing I got from him was all of his latest, uh, decal sheets. Cause I, I always, stay up on his 72nd stuff in the area that I'm interested in. So I've always got his latest sheets and I uh, picked up, I, I know I picked up a uh, P40 BC and G variant um, latest set of decals. And then um, also some TBF one Avengers. Um, and that's the early Avengers uh, like it, uh, you know, the one that got shot up at Midway and, and, a, and a few other ones. So I picked that up and I, I also picked up a, a tank, um, oh. one, one 72nd scale T 34. And, um, so I'm going to see if I can't, um, build that like an airplane, but, uh, without wings, of course, and, uh, see how it comes out. And, th and then the other thing I bit by bought just showed up today. I bought it from, um, Edone models, um, which is Italian for Heron. Uh, it's a Czech company. But it's a um, he 3D prints. This is this is a an, wow an engine it? man, and it, it's a gnome roan 14 cylinder. Um, I don't think what? it's going to come out. 14 cylinder 3D printed engine, and the detail on this thing is absolutely phenomenal. That's crazy. ties in with today's discussion. It does, um, yeah. And, and so this showed up today. I bought 18 of these 
heifers. <laughs> and why did I build 18? Uh, and the answer is there is a laundry list of aircraft that used these during World War II. Yeah. Um, a lot of French airplanes did. Um, and then uh, um, the uh, Romanian indigenous fighter, the IAR-80, I think it is, used it. Oh, that's a cool um, plane, man. And then a bunch of Italian ones used it, built, license, you know, license built. Even and even the uh, trying to remember the name of the, um, uh, it's the German attack aircraft that had the big old cannon underneath it, and um, that was a twin engine. It used those engines. So, and I've got a couple of those kits, and and I I've just I'm going to bring this to the next club meeting so that you guys can see it because it's just. I, I saw the pictures online. I mean, we're talking 3D print hairline detail. I mean, that's how small some of the push rods and other details are on this thing. It is just um, Vladimir. I can't, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. Uh, he and I traded a lot of emails and uh, ca, ca, yeah, I'm not even going to try. And um, Erone Hobbies, Hobbies and um, Czech Republic. I, I took about a month from the time I sent him the money via PayPal and I got him. And um, I, I'm going to buy some more, but he's working on some uh, British um, engine, uh, the, uh, uh, the Bristol engines, you know, that come with the exhaust on the front, exhaust ring on the front. And they were on the Blenheims and the Beauforts and the, and the, you name the pretty much a lot of the British aircraft if it had a radial engine it had those so he's making those next i'm gonna buy a, a boatload of them and, and oh, by the way they, these were four bucks a piece i mean that that's free that's oh, free yeah. that's yeah. free yeah four bucks for an engine that's this detailed I, the yeah. only way the guy's making any money doing this is he's ma he's making a lot of them wow of them. Do, you, do you know if they're doing those exhaust rings in 48 scale uh, he I, he's doing all of these in in the uh, all the popular scales. Okay, seventy so second. So that would be something that's applicable to the Blen Blenheim 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 Blenheim. So the German airplane is that the HE one twenty nine that has that same engine? Because that's got the tank buster, right? The German tank buster in World War II. I with think the it's cannon. the one twenty nine. Yeah. I yeah. Think H yeah. HS one twenty nine. HS. That's yeah. What sorry. Yeah. yeah. HS HS one twenty nine. Yeah. I got that. I got that Zoki Mira kit of that thing when it first came out and still in the wrapper like it's still sitting in my closet wrapped in the like tissue paper <laughs> i have no willpower with that i know just yeah. you gotta fondle the plastic bro oh, yeah, yeah man this man the way and this, leave, this leave thing showed up first thing i did was open it up and i'm like <laughs> i gotta see this thing anyway that's it for me that's that's my big purchase and uh holy cow um that's got me really jazzed i i'm gonna break a uh French aircraft off the off the stash and uh, start putting it together. All right, Scott, you're up, and I know you've gotten quite a bit oh, of man. stuff. You're there oh, itemizing God. everything, writing it all down. <laughs> Jeez, I had to make up for lost times, man. So I got, <laughs> I got the 48 scale main growler. Thanks, Frill. That was the one. Remember last one where I was like, "What was the yep. one?" Dang it, Frill. That was it. And then um, I got the new. Great Wall Hobby, 30-second scale Curtis Hawk, still in the wrapper. I got the new uh, a Great Wall Hobby MiG-19, the SMT. I always wanted the SMT. So I ended up, uh, uh, you know, I got that one from Sprue Brothers. 
and then I on uh, one of the sites on Facebook or one of the you know graveyard or whatever it was, I picked up uh, a thirty second scale away for m for a great deal. So that was just this week. <laughs> that was it. I, I got a whole bunch of crap the week before. I just can't remember what it was. So anyway, that's what I've gotten so far. I need to stop, but whatever. You know, I only I build like two kits a year. So why don't I buy like fifty a year? You know, what's the deal? I'm gonna sell them all anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's what I got. That's me. You may be selling them anyway, but in the meantime, you get to look at them on the shelf. I do open the box occasionally and just yep. go, yep, that's my kit. That is yep. my kit. Nobody that's else's true. kit. That's my kit. That is true. And, you know, Tim, I feel so much better now. I'm going to yeah, buy more and, kits. And, <laughs> and, if, and if you want to build that kit, you can decide to build that kit See, anytime oh, you want. We need to have Tim on more often. Yeah, but if you I'm don't have better. that kit, you can't do that. Man. All you can do is go, man, I wish I had that kit. Oh, I feel better. I, this is wonderful. That's awesome. why I have my stash. Because I can Sweet. say, man, I'm glad I got that kit. Because if I feel like making that kit, I'm going to make that kit. Man, <laughs> I am just, I feel liberated. This is awesome. Cool. I'm out. Thanks, Tim. I feel so much better. <laughs> hey, anytime. Dr. Tim's office is open. Um, the price is a nickel. Yeah, man. Or I owe you a kit, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Whitey. What'd you buy? Uh, Nothing since I'll last go around. So that's kind of good. Good on my wallet. Although I did, uh, I did renew my Canadian IPMS uh, membership and um, I, I received m- my latest issue of their um, quarterly, the uh, random thoughts, which that's worth the price of admission of being an IPMS Canada member. I'll tell you what, it's a fantastic quarterly that they do. Um, and in this uh, issue, this is the uh, spring 2022 issue. Um, You'll be familiar with this frill. Uh, there's a feller in here, Ken Woodruff. He's built a OP2E from mm. VO67. So that's a uh, P2 Neptune variant. Um, something I'm familiar with because my wife's uncle was a flight engineer on these things with that squadron. They were the only guys that operated these things. Um, but he did this build without the uh, use of the um, that really nice Blackbird models OP2E conversion set that that came out a little while back. Yeah, man. That is that is HTF and OOP. Like Tim said, um, I'm glad I got it when I got it. Glad he got it when yep. Uh, but he he did a great job on it, and um, uh, he used the uh, Caracal decals. Um, I think I might have put a bug in Cursad's ear to put that set of markings on that neptune sheet you're welcome um and it's actually my my uh wife's uncle's aircraft his crew aircraft 10 uh he was on crew 10 with those guys over there and uh operating out of thailand i believe they did and uh anyway yeah so i got the rt random thoughts membership renewed to ipms canada uh so i'm a dual citizen again <laughs> Uh, well, I was going to say, you know, besides the uh, Neptune, what I like about their their quarterly is, you know, again, we are aircraft centric here and you can bet that each issue is going to be you, like in this one alone, you have a guy who's got a 124 Hellcat build. You have the OP2E, you have another guy doing a, uh, the uh, Canadian uh, ASW version of the, of the Avenger. Um, so this is just always uh, really good articles and they're always yeah, really man. well, well written. And um, yeah. 
Good stuff. Join IPMS Canada, folks. Speaking of, I think I got to renew my uh, IPMS USA membership. Yep. And now I need folks. to join and, IPMS uh, USA as well. <laughs> yeah, there's the IPMS <laughs> USA plug. I know. I think I, yeah. yeah I think and, fr- I and Phil, when you do that, send me your info so that we remain legal. Yeah, that's I it. As a, well, you know, I IPMS club. I don't expire till next month. So I'll do that tonight when, I'm, when we're done here. I'll get on there and renew it. Cool. Uh, well, thanks, Whitey. Well, as for me, I uh, the only thing I picked up was the Ming Growler as well. And Growler's kind of grown on me over the years. I kind of like it. It's cool. There's so many cool marking options for it. I mean, uh, Furball's got his sheet. I think he's got, what, two Growler sheets? Two different ones? And just the marking options are just endless. And I just love using Furball decals. And... I just I keep going back and forth, like which one I want to do. I get set on, oh, I want to do this one. And like, oh, no, I want to do this one. And then because that uh, the VAQ, the Shadowhawks, they have that like neon green color with the purple or whatever it is in their squadron markings. I think it's kind of cool. Stand out. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. I've been kind of taking it easy. You know, we got shows coming up and uh, and then that. So and I'm, I'm horrible at that. I've. I just I do I do exactly what Tim says. Just buy it, because then when you got it, you can say, "I think I'll build that one now." Whereas if you don't got it, it's kind of hard to do that. So, but yeah, Nats every year, man. It's just gotta save, gotta save up. Four day model show. Four day model show. No, you bring the crazy cheese whiz with you at Nats. You can't go out there and blow your wad on the first day. First, nope, nope, got it. Got to take it slow, man. <laughs> but don't pass it. Don't pass up the one that you see. That's true, man. Don't pass it up. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I think it's your AB lesson. Lesson they learned. Call that edging. Is that what they call that? <laughs> I hear AB positive blood. They still pay good money for that. So <laughs> I'm sure there's a blood bank around there somewhere. All right. Well, before we move oh, on to our our next segment. Let's take a minute to hear from Chris Meddings at Inside the Armor Publications about their new book they are putting on to raise money for Ukrainian relief effort. Hi, everyone. This is Chris from Inside the Armor Publications. Like many of you, I've been watching the news over the past few days and have been appalled by the suffering and hardship inflicted on the people of Ukraine as they attempt to flee the war in their country. I decided to reach out to other companies and modelers in the hobby and to see if we couldn't do something to support the charities that are helping these people. The results of this is the book Models for Ukraine. The book features only models manufactured by Ukrainian manufacturers as built by modelers from all over the world who have gladly and freely given their time and work to support this charity effort. The full profits of the book will go directly to humanitarian aid. Our printer have given us an incredible discount at less than cost and all of those involved have given their work for free. The only thing that will be deducted from the price of the book is the transaction fees and a small cost of printing. Everything else will go directly to humanitarian charities to support people in Ukraine. If you'd like more information, please go to www.insidethearmor.com. It will be sold there and in other sources as I talk to them and make arrangements for them to sell the book as well. Please do buy the book 
or alternatively, please do find a charity such as Red Cross, Disasters Emergency Committee or others to do what you can to support women, children and civilians fleeing this awful war. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the update. All right. And joining us real quick from South Korea is Darren. And Darren's going to tell us about our Patreon. I want to start, though, by saying that our supporters over this past year have been nothing short of amazing. It's been those supporters that have truly made this podcast possible. And all four of us, thank you. If you, uh, the new listener or listeners out there, are interested in supporting, then there are two different ways that you can support. The first is by doing a one-time donation. You can do that by simply clicking the heart icon in the top right-hand corner of our webpage. By clicking that icon, you will be taken to our PayPal Me page where you can make your donation. It's that simple. The second way is by visiting our Patreon page. There you can donate as little as $1 a month. And I want you to know that any contribution helps to offset the production of the cost, and it is greatly appreciated. Also want to take a second to remind everyone out there that there are other scale modeling podcasts out there for your listening enjoyment. And a list of those podcasts can be found at www.modelpodcast.com. I'll put that link in the show notes so you can all find it. Once again, I want to say thanks for downloading and listening. And most importantly, thank you for your support. So, all right, Darren. Hey, thanks. All right. Our next segment now is everybody's favorite. And uh, the mailbag was kind of it's kind of light this time, which, you know, everybody saves all their email for Whitey anyway. So. And our first email comes from. A Ray. From where Massachusetts, so I don't know how close that is to to your neck of the woods there, Whitey. That's down toward Cape Cod. Okay. Yeah, so he's that's, like that's Southern Massachusetts. Do they have yeah. a, a separate, a, a kind of a Southern accent down in Southern Massachusetts? Yeah, they do. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> well, he sends us an email about a tool. He's like, I agree with your statements about your favorite tools. One of his is being tweezers. He thought he would retool from Amazon and went and bought. I think I got the same set, but mine are in a blue case. And it comes with like 10 different tweezers and they all have different tips for different things. So he's letting us know that his favorite tool are his tweezers, which what's yeah. the brand of the tweezer. Uh, the tweezers are Cassie K A I S I. Huh? You can get them on Amazon too. I think uh, the ones I have are ES. They're like, they say ESD on the handle dash. No, they're, like six they're, they're under 20 bucks so they're because those damn freaking whatever stupid tweezers i bought were expensive and i'm like <laughs> man and, I, and then i stole I, I stole a pair um allison has these um her scrapbooking tweezers oh man they're my favorite pair of tweezers and i heard her the other day she's like did you take my tweezers i was like no <laughs> all she's got to do is come look on my bench and she's gonna find her damn tweezers so i hide them so she can't dude, find them. Dude, if you need a set of tweezers, I got a drawer full of tweezers. <laughs> oh no, I, I, I got I, I buy tweezers all the time. I got a pair. <laughs> I got a pair. They're just not mine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, stand by. Let me correct myself on my geography there. Ware Mass is in the central part of the state. I was thinking Wareham is down toward the Cape. Oh, okay. 
forgive me. I haven't lived there for quite a while. <laughs> well, thanks, Ray. Thanks for sending us in your, uh, your favorite tool. Moving on to our next email. It comes from Stuart Halton. And he is a gentleman that is doing the British painted F-14. And he sent us some pictures of it completed on a stand, like going vertical. And it looks pretty sharp. I have to admit, seeing an F-14 in, a, in British fleet air arm markings looks pretty cool. And he says, hi, guys. Thanks for your feedback on weathering Navy jets. I cracked on with my 48 scale Tomcat. Apologies for the cultural appropriation of an American icon, but it does look good in Royal Navy blues. And Stuart, I would have to, I think we have to agree with you. I think it does look pretty sharp. Yeah. I kind of like those one S when, you know, because in the back of my mind, I've got that A10, that two seat A10 that I want to do in um, Air Force aggressor markings. So I have to keep that in mind. And then um, Steve Nelson sent us an email. He says, hey, guys, big fan of the show and is a great motivator as he's gotten back into the hobby about a year ago after a 15-year hiatus due to the normal, normal stuff, college, masters, wife and kids. He says, you guys talk a lot about aftermarket parts and I am not typically familiar with. Is it possible to list any of those aftermarket sites in your show notes? I am always looking to go beyond our, your typical Edward photo edge. He says, hope to see you guys at Mosquito Con. And he says, P.S. We have a local IPMS chapter in Brooklyn for anyone interested from New Jersey. Brooklyn Plastic Modeler Society, which was started back in 1972. So to address this first part of his email, um, I did put in the show notes. <clears throat> a lot of places we get our stuff from is spruebrothers.com or uh, Flying leather next decals has stuff. Um, what's the other ones out there? Uh, squadron, not so much anymore, though, right? I think I don't think Squadron really. Uh, not really. Yeah, no. he's not up and running fully. I don't nope. think. Yeah, I mean they're trying to, but yeah, yeah. And uh, eBay, you know, we just go into eBay, do a search, and yeah, find. Hannitz has got a pretty buy. decent. Yeah. I was going to say Hannitz. We usually yep. do a, a group buy in the club. Mm-hmm from hand it's about every six months yeah they're good stuff man i I love that that that's a great great shop all right next email comes from james drew and he uh sent us an email about our discussion about the mr color cap decanting and he says sure it does work but he prefers the blue tack wrapped around the bendy straw a lot better so that he can he said he's tried both but the ability to decant directly into a jar and dispose of the straw is still better. It's like, sure, the cap works, but it's just okay compared to the straw. He's like, I'm always looking for a better way to do things and wondered what that lit lit and dent was all about. But in my opinion, the straw is still way better. Yeah, I think I think we weren't saying that the cap is better. I think we were just saying that's what holy for. shit, that's what it's for. Like yeah leave it to those guys to come up with something where you're like, huh? And I tested it out and guess what? It works. All yeah, you, I did all too. You, the paint just pulls into the cup and then you pour it into the jar and you let it off gas. I, I didn't have, it was, uh, I got, I got to buy me one of those. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta got to try. I, I heard you guys talking about that on the, on yep. the last episode and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> I uh, couldn't either, <laughs> but I don't have any, I don't have any uh, Mr. Color, uh, 
Um, well, guess but- guess what, Tim? Guess what? All you have to do is hop on down to old Hobby Lobby and pick you up some Gunsy, either flat or Mr. Yeah. Surfacer, and and it comes here. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the lid. Yeah, and I uh I have a couple spray nozzles that I modified years ago, Tamiya right. ones because they with the straw on the end that I like super glued around to make sure. So I I have those as well. And Tamiya's got a good nipple on it that you can get a good piece of plastic yep. oh you know it'll stay right. there you know? yeah then, and that's what yeah that's why i use a tamio one so the tamio lids don't come with the little thingy only the mr surfacer but you see that look at little i don't know if little you can hole. see it the little hole yeah. yeah so what you do is you take the this is the you can i think you should be able to get this at um hobby lobby this is just happens to be clear flat so you just take the Take the lid off, so you're left with the little nub, and you can do mm-hmm. this with, you know, and look at that, it fits right on the top, right there. So it fits on the top, and then you just hit the, and there's a little, it's covered, the cover right here oh, allows so- the paint to just shoot down in the bottom of the cup, and then it collects down here, and you just pour it into the bottle. Yeah, I got to get yeah. that. Yeah. I got to get one of those. It's pretty cool. It, it, just to save the lid. Just and guess what? Their flats are will spray beautifully right out of the can. Oh, I know. I they're yeah, just the only unreal. reason I don't buy rattle cans anymore is because I got an airbrush. Yeah, yeah. Even had and here's my here's the one that I've used before to to decant. It's just a straw, but right. um, I have it written down somewhere what the what size um, plastic or what size tube you need to fit over mm-hmm. um, the actual. Um, spray nozzle itself i just can't find it anywhere but there's right. there's there's i mean you can measure it but yeah that there's a you should be able to buy the one from evergreen plastic or whatever and it'll fit right over it yeah mm-hmm. so you can do that too but the lid is just i thought it was genius i was like man what are they going to come up with next i know right <laughs> our good friend brian plesha over at uh fighter town decals doesn't really you know sense email the question or anything but as you know he's a private pilot or not a private pilot but he's an airline pilot and he sent us a picture of his phone up on his in the flight station. And he's like catching up on the latest episode at work. <laughs> and so he's listening to us abroad while he's flying to friendly skies. So thanks, Brian. We got two more emails. One of them is from Kevin and Kevin, Kevin Kelly. He's like, hello, I really enjoy your show. And since he just came back to the hobby a few years ago, he's been a primarily an armor modeler. And when he was a teenager, he built exclusively aircraft and still has a love for aviation. And he hearing about our A4 group build for the IPMS Nationals has got him thinking. He's like, I've already completed Sherman for the Triple P group build. And I thought it'd be cool to have a kit in each of my favorite podcast group builds since this will be my first Nationals. Well, Kevin, before we go on, you got to make sure, you know, all of us geeks are going to be there at the Nationals and please stop by and uh, say hi to us. He says that my issue is that even though I occasionally will build an aircraft model, they frustrate me greatly. Typically, when he gets the urge to build an airplane model, he'll rub some shampoo in, in his eyes. Afterwards, it's just still have. Afterwards, if I still have to build an aircraft, I'll get one out of my small stash and get to work sanding and filling. He's like eventually, it takes too long, and he gets frustrated enough, and the kit will sit around or gets thrown out. And sometimes he'll push through. And he has what he calls a shelf build or a two footer, which is fine for him. And 
His question is, he's like, can you please recommend a 72 or 48 scale A4 that actually fits together? And, you know, Kevin, um, for the A4s, it's kind of easy for 72 scale. One that pops off to me, top of my head, is the Airfix A4B in 72 scale. You see a lot of those built up and they look like and they look pretty, pretty good. And I haven't really heard of anybody having issues with it. And then I don't want, it's a very yeah. easy build. And then going into 48 scale, if you can find them, you know, Nemo is building the um, monogram A4E and he's having, he has no problems with it. Yeah, man, that's a great kit. It's I picked it up at a show for like three bucks. Yeah. You know, it's good. And then, if, you know, if you don't want to do that one, then you have the Hasegawa line of A4s and all of those A4s go together great. Now they have their quirks here and there, but it's nothing that you can't overcome. And they build into great models. You can pick those up. I think, I don't know, does Sprue Brothers carry Airfix? I sure can't remember. Do. I can't imagine they don't. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you can find any of these. The uh, probably not the monogram one. You find that at a show. Like, I, I, I pretty much guarantee you, you'll see a bunch of them at the IPMS Nats. Oh, but, yeah. Check Sprue Brothers at um, www.spruebrothers.com for the Hasegawa 48 scale and the Airfix 172nd scale Skyhawks. You can't go wrong with either one of them. And then I'm sitting here looking at the email. And then I got another, we got another email from a Mr. Tim Holland. What? Who's that guy? I know, right? And he sends us an email discussing about our repainting of an entire aircraft and since we happen to have el presidente joining us i figured i would let tim summarize his email that he sent to us because he put a lot of good stuff in there that uh is good to know right um yeah so from the profoundly average modeler known as tim holland um the um of course the last episode i really enjoyed it it was a great episode um, I actually listened to it twice, I think, because you dropped it twice. It showed up in my feed as two yeah. separate episodes. Um, anyway, the uh, it, it was great. Uh, repainting an entire aircraft. Yeah, the, naval aviation, um, That's it's verboten to repaint the entire aircraft at the squadron level. And, and of course, the, you guys touched on a lot of the, the reasons why. Um, but generally, it was because it, it, it takes so long to prep the airplane um, properly with, you know, you got you to gotta stu- scuff sand it. You got to make sure that all the corrosion is taken care of, et cetera. By the time you do that, if you've done it a little too far, and, and I'm, I, I've walked around on the hangar bay of an aircraft carrier, um, especially towards the end of cruise, and you're walking along and suddenly you hear this, this grinder going, and it's like how's that go cow what the heck is that yeah how does that go well you look and and you realize oh it's up i look up and there's this guy on the tail of an aircraft you know trying to make the airplane look pretty um and he's he's grinding away at the at the at the markings and everything else to quote scuff sand it and it you know so that they can spray the whole airplane um, and respray it because they want them all to look pretty when they go home for the fly-in at the end of cruise, end of deployment. Uh, anyway, um, that's not, I mean, you don't do that because in the process of doing those kind of things, you have a tendency to 
um, go a little too far. You break the uh, paint barrier and you get down to the metal where you shouldn't. And if you're walking around doing the rest of the airplane with bare metal showing, it corrodes and it corrodes quickly. Aluminum does not like seawater. And anyway, so that's why you don't do that. And, and ultimately, um, if a squadron does that, um, and this squadron did get caught doing that, um, I didn't report them, but there were plenty of other guys that did. Um, the squadron maintenance officer usually gets fired and um, the squadron CO got a letter. Um, and in the officer world, when that kind of stuff happens, your career's over. It's, you're just going home. Uh, so generally speaking, rules were followed. And um, I mean, there were variation exceptions. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that, um, you know, the uh, there was some unique stuff we put on our A7s when I was in a squadron. And, and it was um, one of those things where we kind of talked it through and said, hey, you know, can we get away with this? And if the answer was, yeah, we can probably get away with this, then we did it if, uh, if the skipper wanted it. But if it was one of those things where we said, now, you know, Skipper's going to probably have to walk over and talk to the Commodore, and that's not a good thing. You never want the Skipper to have to go walk, talk to the Commodore. So we, we just politely tell the Skipper, you really don't want to do that, sir. Um, you know, and uh, I mean, there, but like I said, there were exceptions. Um, the uh, vinyl squadron markings, oh, yeah, we did that kind of stuff. Our, uh, when I first came into the Navy, the airplanes were mostly splash and flash, you know, gray over white with lots of colorful markings. And we were start just starting to see a few of the um, tactical paint scheme uh, aircraft. And it, they would show up into the, in the squadron, you know, essentially two shades of gray that you, you'd have to look to see the difference. But the ones that were the splash and flash, um, we, we absolutely used stickers for, and, and our squadron was uh, Tech Squadron 22, the fighting red cocks and it, the big chicken that went on the tail. I mean, this thing was three foot by two feet. It was huge. It was just, it was literally just a big sticker peel it off. I mean, peel and stick kind of thing, you know, peel it off the backing and slowly put it on there. And you'd see the guys up there with the, the big metal ruler, you know, slowly sliding it down the, the, the fin in order to make sure that he got it on there. Right. Um, were they perfectly aligned? Oh, hell no. Um, if you took two of them side by side and you looked at them, you'd go, yeah, the birds are a little off. Um, so no two planes were perfect, but, um, they were, they were easy to put on otherwise, um, because when we had the gray planes, you couldn't get anybody to do the, the, uh, vinyl stickers anymore. And so it was, and, and besides they wouldn't stick to the rough paint. So you had to paint the markings on. And we were lucky in that we had a uh, first-class metalsmith that uh, knew how to cut. Um, I mean, the guy was an artist. He knew how to cut a stencil. Um, so the, the birds all looked the same, but none of them were lined up. I mean, the guy didn't know how to do alignment when it came to taping it to the airplane at all. Um, but it, it And we could do them in whatever color we wanted. And eventually we did one. I think it was the CAG bird. Uh, we did it in red, uh, but we had a put in a waiver for it so that it would be red on a gray background, which looked pretty cool. Um, unfortunately, the we didn't ask CAG's permission. We got the Commodore's permission, but we didn't ask <laughs> CAG's permission. CAG told us to take it off. So, oh, well, it looked now, good. So what platform were they flying when you were in VA-22? 
VFA, VA or VFA? VA, A7. Okay, so you're A7s. A7 Echoes, yeah. And uh, in the other end of the squadron uh, hangar was uh, the first two F-18 squadrons, 25 and 113. They were just standing up. So when you were there, was Yakbar a thing? Yakbar. Yeah. Yakbar. Yeah. Yakbar. Yeah. You can't beat the red. A red cock. Yep. <laughs> I remember they were in my uh, air wing on my last Carl Vinson deployment, and yeah. their SDO when they were on duty, they wore red flight suits. Yeah. And when they went on deployment, they no shit carried a rooster in a cage, and yep. brought this rooster on the ship. That was pretty funny. <laughs> yep. Yeah. In our. Uh, um, we actually had one guy named Rooster. Um, that was his call sign. Man, as soon as you said that, his his face popped into my head. Memories, <laughs> you gotta love it. Uh, yeah, but it, it was uh, yeah, Waikabar. Um, you know, it was right up there with uh, um, what is it, Ahoyes? If you ain't ordinance, you ain't shit. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's another saying for that, but I won't. You won't you know, repeat that one. <laughs> I won't repeat that one out of respect for our our next segment. You know, I was going to uh, say that was a, that was a good segue right at the Yeah, today, right but, there uh, it is. And before we move on to that, I want to like thank all of our listeners for writing in or dropping us a line on our Facebook page. If you have a question, show idea, or just want to say you're tuning in, feel free to toss us a message at contact at modelgeekspodcast.com or you can find us on Facebook on our Facebook page, Model Geeks Podcast. All right. This week, you know, normally we do a, uh, a, we'll have a topic that we'll discuss. And uh, we were fortunate enough that I was noticing a three and it was, you know, it was my turn to have a topic for this week. And with the influx of resin printed, 3D printed aftermarket parts, you know, I thought, you know, it'd be a good to- a show topic would be to discuss how 3D printed resin is changing the aftermarket world. And I was thinking, man, I think we know somebody who, has an aftermarket company and does 3D printed aftermarket stuff. So I got a hold of um, Dave Roof, who is the owner and CEO of Flying Leathernecks Decals. And he was kind enough to sit down with the geeks this week and gave us an interview. So without further ado, let's let's go to Dave. We're here. The model geeks are here with uh, Dave Roof, owner and CEO of Flying Leathernecks Decal. And uh, Dave, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate the invitation. It's, it's it's good joining you guys today. Yeah, I've been wanting to do this for a while because, you know, just in the aftermarket world, you're seeing a lot of people shifting to the whole 3D printing, and then people at home are buying 3D printers and printing their own stuff. Yep. And I was thinking, I'm like, who do I know who could provide us some great insight on that? And I was like, <laughs> oh, I know somebody. And so you came to mind, sir. So well, thank I you. I appreciate it. I figured, you know, it'd be good to sit down with you for a little while and bend your ear on the whole 3D printing thing. Okay. I, I'd, I'd be more than happy to share what 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 limited knowledge I have. Um, obviously, I'm still learning, uh, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to share, you know, if you got any specific questions, if there's anything, uh, the, the process, how I got involved. I mean, by all means, ask away. I was going to say, can we start off with what got you into modeling and then... Yeah, all that good stuff. Okay, so yeah, let's let's go on to the way back machine to 1986. <laughs> uh, Heck uh, yeah! Um, like most of us, you know, I built models as a kid. Um, it was just a fun 
a fun pastime, just, you know, something to do, you know, and you blow them up with firecrackers at the end. Um, I was in high school, 16 years old, and was in downtown Upland, California, just kind of farting around with some friends. And a brand new uh, hobby shop had opened there in downtown. Almost all trains. There were a handful of models, uh, models, but it was mostly trains. And I was actually big into, into HO's uh, railroading back then. Um, hmm. So I went in, I asked if they needed help. And I got a job. So Sweet. I would work, you know, I would work four or five hours a week, just small stuff here and there. Um, I worked there for, for about a year. And one day, it was about a month before Christmas, the owner, uh, Mac, gave me a couple of LS1144 scale models, a tube of glue, and a couple of cans of spray paint. And he's like, hey, take these home, put them together, just paint them. And he gave me some little eye, the little eye screws, the little hanging eye screws. So I mean, screw them on the top. He wanted to hang them in the window of the hobby shop for Christmas. So I took these models home. And the first one, I just, you know, I ripped the parts off. You know, I put the glue on, glued them together, spray painted it. The next one, I clipped the parts off, kind of cleaned up the nibs a little bit, took a little bit more time. By the time I got to the fourth or fifth little 144 scale kit, I was like really taking my time making these things look nice. That particular moment was the end of my model railroading and the beginning <laughs> of scale modeling. Now, did, um, and did you have like, I, I mean, I, you know, cause I mean, you, you obviously have a fascination or a love for Marine Corps aviation in particular, yeah. but when, you know, I, I guess um, not to get ahead, but yeah, I'm curious as to, you know, cause we all have the same kind of, you know, we started off either building or, in love with aviation when we were little and next thing you know, the two just kind of meet up really, really well. Yeah. So I actually grew up, well, depending on whether or not my parents were getting along, depending on where I lived. So if they, if they were, if they were getting along and, and things were nice at home, uh, we lived in Northern California where my dad's family was. Uh, if they weren't getting along and they were separated at the time, we were in Southern California with my mom's family. And, uh, but a lot of times we were in Northern California and I only lived about maybe a half an hour from Beale Air Force Base. So a lot of the kids that I went to school with, they're either their dad or their uncle or somebody was in the Air Force and worked on the SR-71 and the U-2. So that's where my kind of love of aviation began. Um, I had actually every intention of joining the Air Force until my parents separated for what turned out to be the final time. And we moved back down to Southern California. Um, was in high school. One of my classmates was enlisted in the Marine Corps and invited me to a pulley meeting. Uh, if you're not aware, pulley meetings is what, when kids enlist in the Marine Corps, before they actually ship to boot camp, every month the recruiters have what's called a pulley meeting. So all the pulleys, all the kids that are enlisted meet up once a month. They do physical training. They learn Marine Corps history. It's basically the Marines prepare these kids for what they're going to encounter when they re when they hit boot camp. So he invited me to a pulley meeting, and that was my that was the end of my interest in the Air Force. Um, <laughs> it was it was I was pretty much dead set on the Marine Corps uh, from that point moving forward. Um, 
obviously I enlisted in the Marine Corps and retired in 2010. My, my love of aviation though began, like I said, early, earlier in my, uh, in my preteens and teens, uh, living near Beale Air Force Base. Very nice. Yeah. We had, a, we had the same thing in the Navy It's called depth. And I remember I never went to a single meeting because I, you know, I was a Navy brat. So I knew about the Navy and I was like, I'm not going to go once a week or once a month and sit there. And, and so I, I never went and they would call me like, Hey, <laughs> recruit, you know, why are you not coming? Like, yeah, I got, I'm busy, you know, and I never went any of them. So, so it started really early for you then. Oh, yeah. yeah, I guess from, you could from, say it did. The, the not showing up to things. Now it all makes sense, right? Why do you were like, oh, God, now well, I get it. I was working on my chief qual back then. So I had to make sure I was getting those blocks checked. You know, it was funny. Two, th- two things with the model building and, and with my experience in the pulley program kind of ended up helping me uh, indirectly. I, I obviously wasn't prepared for the actual experience of boot camp. You know, you can mentally prepare all you want, but until you're actually there in front of the drill instructors, and you, yeah, you know, you're not, you're not really prepared for it. Um, but I started going to pulley meetings my, my, excuse me, my sophomore year of high school. So I had a good two years, you know, of be, hanging out with the recruiters. So I, yeah. I knew... I learned a, a lot, you know, and then of course I was seeing, it's okay, kids you can say a shit ton. To, I was seeing kids <laughs> that were shipping off to boot camp and coming back and they would share with us their experiences. So I had plenty of time to prepare. Um, and I, again, the reality of what you actually experience versus what you think, you know, are two entirely different things. Um, as far as my model building, like I said, when I switched to aircraft, uh, in 86 and learn more about, you know, you know, using the Hasegawa weapon sets in 48th and 72nd scale and, and reading up on, on bombs, I enlisted open contract and I got aviation ordinance. So I actually had a little bit of knowledge of the bombs and missiles before I even got to <laughs> ordinance school. And it was, funny. it was funny because when I got to ordinance school, I knew what a Mark 82 was. I knew what a Mark 83 was, you know, just simply because of my interest in scale modeling. Wow. That's cool. Cool. And I start talking about all these bombs and disordinates and all the other, all the other students, all the other Marine and Navy students were like, Oh my God, you're going to, you're going to be like the class honor man. And I'm like, dude, I just know what they are. I don't, I don't know anything more about the class or what we're going to learn than you do. I just, know what a 500 pound bomb is because i build model airplanes so but it sort of kind of gave me uh not i don't want to say an advantage but i wasn't as lost as the other kids were in in ordinance school like i said i just i knew what everything was just simply because of my experience in building models so that's real i i second the you don't really know what boot camp or you know when i went through ocs you know we had marine core drill instructors and you know you always they always talk to you about they're going to break you down as an individual and build you up as a team and you're like well how the hell are they going to do that and then you get there and you just there's it it, it still stings that first punch when you meet that drill instructor man oh yeah <laughs> there's, there's just 
there's just nothing like it, you know? And you're like, what do you mean? I can't look at my food for two months. You know I mean? It's just, <laughs> it's just, it changes you, you know, oh, yeah. it, it really does, but that's, that's awesome. It's, it's so crazy to hear the, your story. Cause it's, it, it's just, you know, we just all smile. Cause we're like, man, that's just, that's just what we went through. You know, yeah, it's and, awesome. And I, I think a lot of us, and you know, it's interesting to note that I, I would say a, a good, I would say a large percentage of scale modelers now, uh, venture to guess probably about 50 to 60% of us all served in some, in, in some way. Um, whether yep. it was, whether it was four years or, or we made a career out of it, uh, regardless of the branch of service, there just, there seems to be that, uh, that commonality among a lot of scale modelers where we all have similar backgrounds. Um, as far as our general interests are concerned, I know a lot of us butt heads a lot of times and, you know, we think a lot of each other assholes at times and, you know, everybody, you know, <laughs> you know, that guy's a jerk, that guy's a jerk. But when, it, when all is said and done, I think we're, we're a very unique group of people that we actually have a lot more in common than we have differences. And it, it, it's, it's really a great thing to be a part of as far as the hobby in general i mean the marine part is we're, we're a lot better than everybody else but other than that you know it's, it's we're, all, we're, all, we're all pretty much the same so um yeah but it's, no, it's, so, it's crazy how you know when you meet you know somebody and you, like again it's just it doesn't take but a few minutes and you feel like I've, we've known you forever you yeah. know what i mean it's just it's it, it's one of the few hobbies or one of the few things that I've noticed that it's it's really true. You know, it's oh, yeah. that common, especially when you have the military plus the modeling background, which we all do. It's just I don't know. It's just kind of a natural combo. And I feel, you know, I feel bad, feel bad for folks that have never experienced, you know, usually it's the military where they're just, you know, the civilian folks. And but, um, yeah, it's it's crazy how it starts as a kid and. It, how it happened is just always leads to um, this incredible bond when you meet other folks. It's pretty cool. Oh yeah. I, 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 to, to touch up on that, I would, I wouldn't be surprised that if you took, you took, let's say you did a survey group of modelers from aircraft resource center, large scale planes, uh, hyperscale, uh, the various groups on, on Facebook, you know, a lot of the modelers that are on YouTube, I guarantee if you asked them the same questions you asked me about how you got started and your interest, I would bet you that the vast majority of us have very similar background stories. Um, I said, it's just, it's just one of those things that there's, there's something that happened in our childhood. There's something that happened early on that all led us along the same path. Uh, and it's, 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 it's kind of cool that, like you said, you know, you can, you can meet a complete total stranger that's a modeler. And after a couple minutes of talking, you automatically have a bond because you realize that a lot of the things they're interested in, a lot of the way things that they experience in their lifetime are very similar to, to yours. So it's, it's, it is kind of cool. It was always funny. The looks you would get in a squadron when people would see you like I didn't have one of those F595 decks, you know, the color, the color chip fan decks, uh -huh. but the airframe shop had one. 
<laughs> and so I would go and check it out from them. And I'd be going up next to the airplane, you know, like, what what color gray is this? You know, like, you know, I sat there and holding a color chip next to it, taking notes. People are like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm a, I'm a model airplane guy. I want to get the right colors, you know, going around getting the colors for things. Yeah, you know, every every squadron I belonged to, every unit that I was attached to, after after a couple months, they were just like us fucking roof doing his model shit. You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, and it's like yeah. even during during Desert Storm. So I always had a camera with me in Desert Storm, and I took pictures of everything. I took pictures of the aircraft. I took pictures of the bombs because I was building models back then and i thought okay obviously i'm not building models now because i'm in the middle of the freaking desert i said but when i get home this is going to be stuff i'm going to want to have yep i was always getting yelled at roof put down the camera roof get back to work roof stop taking (laughs) pictures what's funny is is not (laughs) only did a lot of those pictures ended up helping me now with the flying leathernecks but a lot of those Marines that I served with in Desert Storm, we're all friends with. I'm friends with them now on Facebook. Yeah, guess who's asking? Guess who? Oh, asked I bet. For pictures? Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute! You guys are always giving me shit for having my camera. Now you want copies because you never took pictures. <laughs> yeah, pay up, buddy. Pay up. You know. Yeah. But all the squadrons. I, um, there was one gunny when I was with VMFA one thirty four. He used to get irritated because he was in seat shop. And during my lunch break, or I would stay after work, and I would be out in the hangar bay or in seat shop, like taking pictures of the SJU-5s, you know, taking measurements. And I'm like, dude, what the hell? And I'm like, I, I might need this information one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a – there are times, though, where I wish – I do wish that I would have known back then what mm-hmm. I'd be doing now. Because I would have taken, I'll give you a good example. I've got over 8,000 pictures of the F-18 Hornet, okay? About 5,000 of those I took myself. The other three are just downloaded from the internet, or I had friends take and send me. Um, And I'm doing this ATARS conversion, okay? Keep in mind, I've got like 8,000 pictures of the freaking Hornet, okay? And only one of the ATARs, huh? <laughs> and I, dude, no, so like the landing, the landing gear doors on the that have the fairings for the nose. Mm-hmm. Dude, I got no close-up shots of those doors. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I got to reach out to Marines. I'm like, hey, anybody got an ATAR bird here? Can you take pictures like this, this, and this at this angle? Fortunately, I got a Marine at Iwakuni that took me up. But it's like, how in the hell do you go have eight thousand pictures of an aircraft? And it always seems that there's the one shot, the one angle that you need that yep. you don't have. Um, so like I said, I, I wish I would have known back then what I'd be doing now because I would have taken much better shots of certain aspects, much better angles um, and, and, uh, and other certain things. I, I was always more focused on, uh, on the markings and just mm. the overall stuff, and then kind of like general areas of the aircraft where I wasn't focusing on certain small details for a specific reason. Um, but uh, and actually, that's actually how I kind of got started in the whole flying leathernecks and and doing the research that I was doing. 
Uh, when I was stationed at El Toro in 89 and 90, actually from 89 to 92, uh, I was living, obviously I was living in the barracks and I would walk out to the flight line and go look at the planes and I would make notes like this was a dark gray. That was a light gray. Um, this was this many inches tall and this many inches wide. And then I would go back to my barracks room and I would try to replicate what I saw on the flight line. Okay. To this day, I still have handwritten notes from my days at El Toro in 89 and 90 from certain aircraft that I that I wrote. Um, I have handwritten notes from a couple of pilots that operated that flew uh, during Operation El Dorado Canyon, where they mm. wrote down the ordnance configurations that they flew on their missions. So all that stuff I kept. Um, I've amassed a pretty big library of, of personal notes, you know, personal aircraft markings. Um, I've got several friends on Facebook that were all either former commanding officers. Um, I've got one friend that's a general officer that's currently a general officer. Um, and it's interesting that of all the photographs that I've taken over the years, whether it be at El Toro or Miramar, uh, Beaufort or Cherry Point, um, there's one friend, uh, he's a retired Lieutenant Colonel. He was the first F-35C commanding officer for VMFA 314 out of Miramar. And as soon as I saw his name, I was like, I know that name. So I started going through my F-18 shots. And sure enough, I've got a picture of his F-18C when he was with VMFA 251 with his name on the side. So I was able That's to, cool. see, you know, send them that shot, but just, I know I'm kind of going off on a little rant here, but uh, it's just interesting how everything that I've done over the years has kind of tied into what I'm doing now. So it's, it's, it's been, it's so been a good ride. Let's go ahead and, and talk about your, your business, your company. Okay. Now, how did you started that after you retired or did, when, when did that, when, when was that born? How did that okay. come to So. The way Flying Latinx decals came about, um, I don't know how many people are aware, but I actually started uh, a small business back in 2000. Um, and it was called Orion Scale Models. I remember. And, yep. and the, of course, the goal back then was I wanted to uh, have just a vast coverage of, of subject matter. I was interested in, in scale modeling in general. So I had a long list of decals that I wanted to release. I knew nothing about Corel. Um, I, I actually had a microscale artist, uh, did drew up the artwork for my first sheet. Um, and of course I was active duty in the Marine Corps. So it was one of those things where what I wanted to do and what I could do were two completely different things. So I released two decal sheets in 2000 and then that was it for for quite a while in 2005 after i got back from afghanistan i released a few vinyl products uh the the harrier deck cord um in 48 scale the f-16 scab plates um that was that's where i kind of started like okay i want to try to do a little bit more in 2007 I went on a on a deployment to Miramar. I was stationed here uh, in Atlanta, 
And I went to Miramar for Mojave Viper and VMFA AW-121 had just gotten back from Iraq. And I went and photographed all their aircraft. Right about that time, that's when uh, afterburner, uh, afterburner decals, <laughs> got, uh, afterburner decals, uh, myself, and, and a couple others were were just kind of starting to to grow. Um, over that, over the whole course of years, I had been learning more and more about Corel, how to do my own artwork, and I actually drew up a decal sheet for 121s, F-18s, got it out, set the quote to cartograph. It was a lot more than I had at the time. And Gordon from Sprue Brothers actually financed the, the print of the first decal sheet. And then we worked yeah. on a deal where he got he got most of them. It was also right about that time that even before I released that decal sheet, I needed to drop the Orion scale models name. And the reason was there was a figure company called Orion. So I was, I started getting emails probably several months prior. Um, I started getting emails like when a certain figure was going to be out. I'm like, what are these people talking? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, I, I have no clue. I would respond. I'm like, I don't know how you got my email or what you're, talking about but i'm not i don't do figures then i learned that there was another company called orion that was doing figures like okay i i gotta change my name naturally i went with flying leathernecks simply because i was a marine and i i felt that it fit so that's how flying leathernecks got got started that was also when I made the decision to focus exclusively on Marine Corps aviation. So I, my desire to do F-16s and F-15s and, you know, any other aircraft that interested me at the time at that point was, was done. Um, and I've been fortunate over the past several years where whether intentionally or unintentionally, and, and it's great. Sometimes I don't, I don't want to say it's a burden. It's actually kind of flattering, but it's absolutely amazing how many people reach out to me for marine aviation specific questions. Um, I've, I've heard secondhand that I'm considered the go-to for marine aviation, which is, Pretty cool. Um, it, it's it's flattering. It's, it's 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 very humbling to you know to know that other people. Um, I know that there's a lot of people out there that don't like me. I, I I've accepted that fact. There's nothing I can do to what? change that. Who are these people? Uh, you Take know, them out. I, no, there's there. No, I'm not going to name them out. That, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that don't I like me. I kid. I kid. I And and to a certain degree, some of them might be justified. I, I'll, I'll fully admit that quite a few years ago, I was, I was quite the asshole. I was, I, I, I pulled no punches. Um, now I distinctly remember the nationals where both, both, uh, both Frodo and Whitey came up to me like, dude, we, we love your posts on ARC. <laughs> I'll never forget that. It was at the two Bob Swindig. And, yeah. Um, oh, 
the famous two Bob Shindig. Yeah, you know, I I know I rubbed some people the wrong way, and I'll, I'll always have regrets that I did that. Um, you know, I've I've grown like many of us. I've grown. I've changed. I've I've matured a lot. Um, I think uh, everyone can look back and laugh at that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. It's natural, having fun, man. That was good stuff. Yeah. But uh, so that's how Flying Leatherneck was born. It was more, it was was a slow, gradual transition that that was start of a general hobby and and then just started to focus on marine aviation. And then that's what it's been since 2007. Um, Well, that's great. I mean, you've you've definitely, you have that niche. Like you said, there's plenty of, F-15, F-16, A-10, you know, it's plenty of Air Force, plenty of Navy, you know, Navy's coming, and, you know, for you to, to to just to grab that niche and, you know, obviously from a, uh, you know, something you know, yeah. you know, you're coming at it from that, from a, a, a no-shit Marines perspective. Um, now, my question to you, I know you do a lot of the modern stuff, a lot of the stuff you worked around. Uh, do you have any interest in backing it up to... Um, and I, I believe you may have done some of the early, you know, World War II or even um, some of the Marine Corps stuff from the, and I know 48 scale is your thing and you, you yeah. don't want to get into, you know, like, um, but even like some of the stuff from the 20s and 30s, you know, because the Marines had some really unique markings on their aircraft uh, from they that time period as well. Yeah, you, 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 I'd be over the top if you could do uh, stuff from the 20s and 30s. That would just be freaking awesome. You, you know, take, and that take was take that history of, of marine aviation all the way back and bring it right up to the yeah. present day. Yeah. You know, and that that's actually something I had thought about. And there's a couple reasons why I didn't do certain subjects. Um, one of them, Wayne Tevlin from uh, Yellow Wings Decals, yeah, um, yeah, had that. So I always thought, okay, Wayne has got this covered. You know, I I'm not going to mess with that. Okay. Uh, the World War II stuff. We butt heads a lot and 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 we seriously disagree on a lot of things. But Jennings Helig from Fundacals is mm-hmm. a is a master at research. And what what he's been able to come up with, he has got some absolutely gorgeous World War II decals, and a lot of them covering Marine Corps Corsairs and some other stuff. So while I would love to go back into that era, right now, there are two people that are doing it very well. Now, that doesn't say I'm not going to, right? but it's also been, okay, let me focus on this. Because right now, Wayne has got the pre-war stuff with yellow wings covered. Dana Bell is another uh, big name that, that knows the World War II stuff really, really well. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe he works with Jennings at Fundicals as far as research is concerned. Um, but they've got like the World War II stuff covered. As far as the modern stuff, oh, uh, Vietnam era, uh, Steve Ballinger from AOA decals, you know, yeah. he's, he's, got, he's got that covered. So it's one of those things where we're all doing quite well with the certain areas that we cover. So I would rather just stick to what I'm doing and not step on their toes. Okay. Uh, how, about, how about Korea? 
The Korean. Yeah, I was gonna say. Now Korea. Korean war. That's Korea a, is a, Korea is a different story. Nobody, nobody other than Kursad from Caracal has covered any Marine Corps subjects. Okay, the difference with the difference with Kursad though, and he has got an absolutely amazing thing going. Kursad uh, yeah, Kursad has turned into the modern day microscale, where he is basically just he is all over the map and he does all his subjects extremely well. Um, but because he doesn't focus on one specific area that does kind of leave a lot of things open. Um, going back to what I was talking about, like okay, yellow wings, almost all pre-war fundicals, kind of that, that world war two era, uh, AOA, the Vietnam era furball bullseye mainly modern air force navy fighter town modern navy i'm modern marine corps while kersad's covered a couple of korean era stuff there is nobody that's that's solely concentrated on that era so there are a lot of things that i want to do um and with companies like amp uh which Unfortunately, I believe they're out of Ukraine, so I don't know how things are yeah. going yep. to go. But AMP came out with their 48-scale HEP. They came out with their Dragonfly. Yes. Um, yep. So now that there, there are kits available for decals, um, there's in 72nd scale, Atelier has you know a, a nice H19, although it's not available right now. They've got an H19. They've got... There's a lot of Korean era aircraft that decals can be done for. So yes, I do plan on going back to Korea. Um, my biggest uh, pause on that is there's <laughs> there's so much modern stuff I want to cover. It, yeah. it, it's like it's it's kind of like when you have when you have housework to do. Let's, let's say you. You know, you got a, your yard and the house to do, and you, you got so much to do, you don't know where to start. And I, I get into that rut where there's so many subjects that I want to cover and there's so many uh, decals that I want to draw that there's times I find myself, I'm like, okay, I can either spend countless hours researching this particular aircraft to draw this decal sheet, or I can knock out a decal sheet in 20 minutes based on what I have right here in front of me on my computer. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where I have to make that decision. Um, I know Dave, but, I, I, I want to, I'll probably want to hit you up because there's a, I have the H one, the Zulu kit, the Academy kit, the 35th scale, which I've been anxiously awaiting a, that particular scheme. It's that old, um, the whiskey, the, have you guys, have you guys seen that? that that the zulu that's got that old that snake yeah camo oh well, man the, the academy awesome. kit when it came out or was it academy or mrc yeah mrc academy it had those markings didn't it wasn't that what came with the kit yeah no or i'm talking green for, and gray i'm talking about the zulu one the new kit yeah the new, oh yeah the i new, saw dave's artwork for that there's, so there's a retro yeah. scheme out there Is yeah. That yeah. yeah 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 that's the yeah. that's a tricolor uh zulu i've got the artwork drawn and it's one of the things that's been nice too is when when I would first reach out for help, um, I would post on the squadron pages. I'm like, hey, I'm looking for a picture of this or I'm looking for a picture of that. And uh, 
I would get responses like, you know, not today, ISIS, um, you know, and I'm just like, like, come on, man. It's like, you know, you know, I'm a Marine, you know what I do. And it actually, that all started to change when I built uh, an EA-6B Prowler for the outgoing commanding officer of VMAQ-3 uh, a few years ago. When I, when I built the model and showed up, when I would post on the groups, now Marines knew exactly who I was. Uh, they yeah. had met me, you know. So now it's it's almost turned into I go I go onto the squadron pages and I I pose a question. I'm looking for a certain reference material or I, or I need help with a certain photograph, and within a couple of minutes it's in my inbox. So it's it's been it's been nice. But one of the Marines from I'm, you know, I drew the artwork and I know it, but I, I, I can't think of the squadron right now. Um, but the one with the tricolor Zulu, I went out, there's a group called Marine Skid Kids. It's, it's basically, unless you were, unless you are with a Marine Skid Squadron, you're not going to be a member of this group. And so I went out and I said, Hey, there's a new tricolor Zulu out, you know, I was running with the squadron and it hooked me up. And I kid you not within five minutes, I got a private message. You're like, what do you need? I'm like, I need pictures of all the markings and then pictures of like, you know, the aircraft from various angles showing all the camouflage scheme. It was like four hours later, I had like 50 photos in my inbox. It was, it's just, Dude, it's been that's amazing so cool, man. support. That's awesome. Yeah, the, uh, what is it? Uh, HMLA 269, right? The gun runners. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the profile that, that you drew up right now. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of sad. Looks I'm around the ship. I'm around this stuff literally every single day, and there's times where I still can't remember all the details. <laughs> so, Dave, have you considered with all of that uh, reference material you've got and uh, all that knowledge uh, banging around up inside your head, uh, writing a book? I actually have. Um, there was about two years ago, I think it was, I posted on Facebook that I was going to move forward with a book, um, uh, two books, actually. Uh, colors and markings of Marine Corps aircraft from 1989 to, to present. And the reason I chose 89 is because the monogram series of books on Marine Corps Naval Aviation covered, I think, up until 91. Hmm. So I, I hit the fleet in February of 89, and that's kind of when I kind of first took my first pictures of Marine Corps aircraft. And I've been researching them ever since. Uh, I reached out, I posted I was going to do a book, and I had no less than a dozen people reach out that, that they wanted to be a part of this project. They were going to put me in touch with uh, editors and, and you know people to help write and, and do the layout, and not a single one of them followed through. Um, so I was just kind of like, you know, I went from being extremely motivated to just completely demoralized on the whole project. And uh, even follow-up emails and phone calls were like, you know, hey, kind of, they're like, oh yeah, it's some stuff come up. And I'm like, all right. Uh, I don't know the first thing about writing books. I don't know, you know, how to start the format, how to start the layout. And a lot of these people that had reached out were going to help me get to that point. And unfortunately it just never panned out. So it's, it's one of those things where I have the photos, 
I have the vision, but I don't have the knowledge to get it done. So unless that changes, it'll, it'll stay the dream uh, that it was a couple of years ago. Um, but I would very much like to, because it's kind of like, even though building models is like a, a solitary hobby, we go to shows, not so much for the awards, but you want other people to see your work. Mm-hmm. You, you post your work on, on Facebook. You post your work on the forums because you want other people, you want to share what you've done. Yeah. What's the point of building models if no one's ever going to see them? Okay. Well, what's the point of having all this reference material and all these yeah. photographs and all this information if I can't share it? I don't yeah. want to... I don't want to die and have this stuff disappear. I want to be able to, I want others to be able to, you know, there might not be now, but 10, 15 years from now, there may be a young kid that is just as passionate about Marine Corps aviation as I am. And with everything that I've been fortunate to gather over the past 30 years, I want that kid to have it. I want that kid to be able to, to, to start where I left off. Um, but, and the best way to do that would be in a book, uh, you know, but by taking everything that I've accumulated over the years and, 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 and put it in something that can be passed on to other people. Um, it's, it's our history. It's, it's what's happened. You know, every, every entry, you know, every book, every book that you see in a library, every book that you have in your personal collections on the subjects that you're interested in is because somebody took the time to put all that information together. And I want to be able to leave that to people. I just, I, I just don't have the knowledge of how to get it done. So if there's anybody out there that watches this podcast yeah. and, and you have a clue and, and you want to help me get this thing rolling, by all means, reach out. You know, Dave, I, I remember talking to you about this specifically. You're essentially going to take the John Elliott books and, and continue on where he left off. Exactly. In the early 90s. And, I mean, those books are fantastic resource for Navy and Marine Corps uh, aircraft. I mean, the, the, yeah, the level of detail he gets down into as far as like, you know, discussion, uh, discussing, you know, when and where markings changed. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had a, a discussion on our last episode. We were all trying to, uh, when did they go to TPS and why? Well, I guarantee you his book would probably cover that somewhere. And, yeah. and then just to take that history, because like I said, I'm, I'm looking at, um, his his last volume was volume four covers 1960 to 1993. That's quite a span of time. Okay, but then in the meantime, from 93 until now, and you could probably back it up. I would back it up to the Gulf War yeah. and, and bring it forward yeah. to, to, to what's going on today. And that's a huge expanse of time. You have 30 odd years of, of history. Oh, that yeah. is, uh, as you said, you don't want it to just languish. And yeah. it's going to be guys like us that uh, have that knowledge um and the and the uh and the notes and all that kind of stuff that you spoke about uh sitting around uh again sitting in a drawer somewhere yeah and and to continue on what john elliott was doing with those monogram books boy that would be that would be a fantastic project I, I, oh I, I would absolutely love to be able to do that and like i said it's it's the the nice the things about the john elliott books and one of the things that i love about them is they're they're specific and general at the same time. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I kind of wanted to do with the books I wanted to write, we're going to be more uh, squadron and aircraft specific. Yeah. 
So it was going to be, be uh, the paint schemes and squadron markings of, of VMFA 314 from this year to this year. Uh, you know, over the course of their F-18s, now onto their F-35s, um, uh, the, the transition, certain squadron markings, what do they mean? Why were they applied? Is there a significance be behind uh, some aircraft, not all marine aircraft, but some have small uh, nose art, uh, you know, door art, mm -hmm. something like that. Why was it applied? What significance does it have? Was it because of the CL? Was it because of a plane captain? You know, what, what was the reason behind it? That's the things that I wanted to cover in the book. Be more squadron specific over, over a certain number of years. Where Elliot's books, and yeah, it's interesting, Elliot was an ordinanceman also. <laughs> so that was that's one of the reasons why I would I would have loved to have carried on that tradition because it would have been two ordinancemen that would have covered marine and marine aviation over a vast number of years. And it would have been absolutely amazing to be part of that. Um, but again, if there's anyone out there that sees this, that knows the ins and outs of publishing and knows who I can contact and, you know, put me in touch with the right people to, to make this happen. Those Ginter, are the, is that the Ginter book? Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, the, um, I, I, you're speeding, speaking directly to what these guys have done with these two books on, yeah. uh, on Navy electronic aircraft, you know, because again, kind of a really niche subject, Yeah. but they, uh, yeah, they're published by Ginter. Uh, I, I assume that's Steve Ginter, right. But then yeah. uh, Angelo Romano uh, has, and, uh, in the second book here on the, uh, on VMA on VQ two, um, he's got a, uh, AMH chief, uh, John Her Herndon, USN retired, you know, so kind of the same thing, taking that military background and, and using it from his specific knowledge to create these, uh, th these books uh, that are, uh, and, and this is probably, you have these books or no? Cause this I is, have a couple of them actually. Yeah. Cause, Cause they're exactly what you're speaking to right there. So perhaps that'd be the route to go is get with those guys and yeah, collaborate with them. And uh you know, because those books are fantastic, you know, from a, a history and a modeler's perspective. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's not so much. It's a lot of the reasons why I've always wanted to do the books was it wasn't always it wasn't only just the modelers and, and the marine perspective. Um, I found over the course of the years that I've been gathering research, I've actually had family members reach out. Um, they happened to see uh, a decal sheet that I drew. Um, I'll give you a good example. Several years ago, I received an email from a dad who was doing a search on his son's squadron and came across one of my decal sheets. And it just so happened that one of my decal sheets, um, the aircraft that I covered, his son's name was one of the pilots on the jet. I didn't plan it. it just, that just happened to be the jet that I covered. And this father, uh, trying to do something for his son came across an image in my sheet. And I thought, you know, there may be a family member out there that's doing research on, on their uncle or their aunt or their dad oh, yeah. and, and comes across the book. Uh, so it's, it's also for the family members of all the Marines that served um, because 
even though I'm going to be specifically covering the aircraft and the paint schemes and the squadron markings that were applied to the aircraft, that's going to include the air crews names that were on the jets at the time. Um, and it's going to be good for a lot of these people to see the aircraft that their dad flew or their, their uncle flew and, and learn more about what those relatives did in their time in the Marine Corps. Um, and it's, it's like everything that somebody back then years ago took the time to put all the books together that we use now on the world war two subjects and whatnot. And, and it would be, that would be an absolute blessing if I was able to do the same for, uh, for future generations, for the Marine Corps aviation assets that I've researched and documented over the past 30 years. So I said, if I believe me, if I can get these things done, uh, I would absolutely in a heartbeat uh, work with someone to help me get these things published. Cause you don't have enough on your plate right now. Anyway. I know uh, not at all. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm wide open. I got, I got all the time in the world. So, you know, and I was going to ask you, you know, so when you started flying leathernecks, you could start flying leathernecks decals. Were you yes. only going to do decals and then, yeah. or then, and like you just got the idea one day that, Oh, you know, you know, we're lacking specific aftermarket items. And then you decided using your knowledge to start producing aftermarket items. No. So it was always decals. Um, now there were, there were items in resin that I always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I had, and it's one of those, that it was a blessing in disguise that it never happened when it did. Okay. So, uh, this, I'll show you something right here. This set right here. Okay, this was released back in 91, 92, I believe. Technics little ordnance set. Okay, these are all my masters. Okay. This is this is actually how I kind of got started in the in the in the business side of the hobby. Uh when I got back from Desert Storm, I had all my pictures. And Replascale, uh, Robert Stansel of Replascale was right there in Anaheim. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, I just got back from Desert Stone. I got all these pictures. Uh, he met me there at El Toro and turned over all my pictures. And he released a couple of decal sheets using my pictures. And, uh, and, that, and then that was it. I got a couple of free copies and I thought that was cool. I got my name in the instruction sheets and whatnot. A couple months later, he gives me a call. He's like, hey, there's a company right here in Chino called Model Technologies Technics. Uh, he's looking at doing some modern ordnance stuff. I thought of you. Um, so he gave me his number, contacted Mike Williams of Model Technologies, and, and then I was working for him. Uh, the, I don't know if you ever saw it, the monogram, and I'm getting, I'm getting to your question. I just want to give you a little bit of background on, on how kind of all this went and, and why I was planning on doing the resin. So monogram came out with a P47 and a Kingfisher with photo etch, photo, the high-tech series. Yep, kit. the high-tech kits. Yeah. Right. The ink work for those photo etch, that was me. I did that. Um, the ink work for the decal sheet, the hairless Joe character and the P47 and the monogram P47 kit. I did that ink work. Um, back then it was all done on mylar where you, you drew it all and each color was on a different layer of mylar. And then you went to a blueprint shop and you had plates made. And then those plates were 
shrunk down and then given to Microscale. And then that's how Microscale printed the decals. But it was after I left Model Technologies and doing this ordinance set, I kind of always wanted to do resin ordinance. Um, a couple times I had got, I had masters done and I had reached out to people uh, to cast them for me because I didn't have the, the equipment to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And it, it, things just wouldn't pan out. I was active duty at the time. So I would either PCS or I was on debt. Um, the people that offered to cast it for me, they had other things going on. So nothing ever actually jived. So when I started flying Linux decals, once again, I thought about doing resin items. Things just never panned out. Like, all right, I'm just going to focus on decals. A couple of years ago, Richard Van Zant posted a picture on Facebook of a head-up display that he had designed in CAD and 3D printed for one of his models. And the light bulb went off. So I reached out to Richard. I'm like, dude, you know, I would, I would, I think, actually, I think it was an F-18 HUD head-up display that he did. And I reached out to him and I basically said, hey, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to release that in the Flying Linux decals line, you know, you know, would you consider it? So him and I worked out a deal. And the way it started is he would print the, the parts. I would pay him for the parts. He would ship them. I would package them. And then I would fill the orders. So I'm like, all right, send me, send me 24 to start. That should last me a few weeks. It lasted me a couple hours. <laughs> so, so I, I announced these head up displays. And they were gone like a couple hours later. I'm like, dude, I need more. Um, Over the course of a few weeks and talking to Richard, uh, and he was telling me about the the CAD program he was using and the 3D printers that he was using. um, I was like, okay, I I can do this. But then I started kind of researching it. I'm like, like, I don't have the first clue how to do any yeah. of this stuff. Like I, I don't, I don't know my way around any of this stuff. Fortunately, and like many of us, and I would, I would venture to guess that probably 95% of model builders, we're blessed with, with mechanical skills. You, you, you know how to figure stuff out. You know, you, you, you know, your way around tools, you know, your way around uh, drawing stuff. And with my experience with Corel, I kind of thought fusion was something that I could grasp Uh, with the support of my girlfriend, Tanya, and with Richard's uh, support and, and, and him teaching me, I decided to buy my first resin printer and download fusion. And when I first downloaded fusion, I was like, I don't like, I don't have a clue. (laughs) Like, I I don't like, I don't, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, Got the first resin printer. Richard walked me through everything. I designed my first part myself, which was a bomb. Uh, you know, I kind of started with a with a bomb, and and that's kind of how it, it started. It was just it was just one of those things where I saw something Richard had produced. I I asked him if he would be interested in selling it. He was. It did a lot better than I expected, and and it just took off from there. 
Uh, I went from that one head-up display two years ago and one mm -hmm. resin printer to right now I've got just under 200 resin items and 16 printers. Um, it, it's just Wow. And the 16 printers still aren't enough to keep up, <laughs> which is, which is kind of, it's, it's amazing. And I'm, I'm, I'm and truly blessed. You doing this? Huh? You're a one man show. It's just me. Yeah. Wow. It's just me. So and that's and not, not just for me. And this, this kind of goes for everybody. Uh, Mike Reeves at phase hanger, uh, Steve Bellinger at AOA, um, you know, uh, Scott Brown with bullseye. Uh, Brian Plesha from Fightertown. All of us that do this, it's just us. You know, we're we're the research team. We're we're the we're the production team. We're the you know we're the design team. We're You're the shipping department. We're the yeah we're <laughs> the shipping department. We're we're the we're the advertising department. Like we're everything. Um. And if one thing I can put out to the modelers out there is we're sure. not Edward. We're not Spur Brothers. Yeah. We're not, we're not Hannett's. Like we do this, we we sacrifice a lot of of our our modeling time, our family time, and our personal time to do this because it's something that we're passionate about. And we want to be able to take what we've learned. Mm -hmm. And take the support that we've been given by our friends and our follow modelers and provide something that that you find useful in your hobby. Be a little bit patient. <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing the absolute best that we can with the time that we have. Um, I, I get all the time. It's like... Uh, I get an example. I, I received an order one night. It was about 1130. I got the, the order. And the reason I knew I got the order 1130, because I saw it the next morning. At about noon that next morning, I got an email from the gentleman that placed the order wanting to know if I had a tracking number. And I'm just thinking like, Dude, you just placed Sleep. order like last night. <laughs> like, <laughs> Man, me, I don't have a warehouse. Time. Yeah, it's like, and and it's not it's not their fault and i don't i don't blame them it's you know you order something on amazon and and it's it's your doorstep the next day you order from something from sprue brothers and you get a shipping email notification within an hour and a lot of modelers don't i want to say ignorance simply because they don't know and it's not it's not meant in a bad way but they just, they make the assumption that all of us have like a staff, you know, that we have, we have employees and we have teams that do everything. It's like, no, it's, it's just me. 90% uh, of everything that I've released has been of my own creation. Um, all, all the 3D printed ordnance. I do all my own decal artwork. I do all my own research. I do. I do the placement guides. Uh, I do the instructions. I draw the labels. Um, I answer the emails. I pack out all the product. Uh, you know, the other thing that I take a little bit of pride in is if you look at all my 3D printed resin items, they all come ready to use right out of the package. Um, 
I, I take the time to remove all the supports uh, where a lot of other companies, when you get the resin item, all the printing supports are attached to it and the modeler yeah. has to remove all those. I remove all those before they go in the package um, because I want the modelers, our, our modeling time is limited. A, a lot of guys, you know, they work, they, they work, they have families, they, you know, they have lives outside of their hobby room, which, <laughs> which I need to get back. But when you sit down at your modeling batch and, and you work on a model, you're supposed to enjoy that time and removing casting blocks and removing print supports and cleaning up your parts that that's not, that's not enjoying your hobby. That's a tedious, uh, frustrating task that takes time away from your enjoyment. So if I can help alleviate some of that, I do that by removing all the supports. Um, and yeah, but Dave, you, you don't want, you don't want to create a bunch of whiteies where, they cheat when they model. <laughs> not too though is you helping the model because a lot of these supports they're not as easy to remove as a lot of people think. And no, you know the, the breakage. I mean, because some of the 3D stuff that you're doing and, and others are doing is so fine. Oh yeah, and you know, so someone that knows the product taking that time to remove it, you know, if you're charging a couple extra bucks for that, then good on you. Because you're saving that person time yeah. and you're saving that person aggravation and you're saving your, the whole, hey, I broke this thing. Can I get another one? Yeah. You know, I so actually, believe it or not, I actually dropped all my prices this a uh, this, uh, couple months ago. Um, and I, I, I had someone, uh, a good friend of mine asked me why. It's like, dude, why did you drop all your prices? And it basically came down to I, I reduced my costs. And they're like, well, that's great, but why did you drop your prices? I'm like, well, because if it costs me cheaper to produce the items, why should I charge people more? Why, like, it, you know, yeah. with everything going on right now, you know, of course, this just happened the last couple of weeks. Like, gas prices are stupid right now. Um, a lot of people have been out of work. Uh, the whole, you know, grocery, hey, everybody knows, you know, like costs are up, you know, people aren't working. Again, this hobby is something we're supposed to enjoy. Well, when things get tight, when money gets tight, when people have to kind of make cuts, one of the first things they're going to cut is their hobby. You know, this, 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 isn't, this isn't life. This, isn't, this doesn't matter in the, in the grand scheme of things. But it's also an escape for people to get away from all the crap that's going on in the world. Yeah. If if it was costing me X amount of dollars that required me to charge X amount of dollars for a product, and then all of a sudden it cost me half of that to produce that same item, I couldn't in good conscience continue to charge the same price. So I dropped all my prices across the board to match what it cost me to, to produce them. Um, I'm still doing okay. I'm also retired. I have a nice pension. Um, I have a nice disability rating, you know, the, uh, the, the government saw fit to screw my body up and, and, and pay me <laughs> handsomely for it. So I don't go anywhere. I have an absolutely amazing girlfriend that is beyond supportive. Um, I have great kids that support me. 
Um, I have a great former wife that I have a great relationship that supports what I do. And so I'm able to stay home and, and do this stuff full time. And it doesn't cost me a lot to do it. So why charge more to, for the products that I release? If I can help alleviate some of the costs on the mother's end, if I can help alleviate what it takes for them to enjoy their hobby, then I'm all for it. Um, I don't build a lot. Uh, and, I, and I've said this a couple of times online. I don't get to build a lot of models. I don't get a lot of time on the bench. But there's nothing more satisfying than going to a show or going online and seeing a model with something that I've created. Um, that is just that that is absolutely amazing. You know, to 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 be able to be a part, uh, to be able to provide something that that modelers use on their projects. Like I help them get to to that point. I help with that result. And that's just as satisfying as, as, as building anything for myself. So. so now back quick to the resin versus 3D printing. I know it's a 3D printed resin, right? So yes. some kind of resin. So now do you see, do you like, did you do any res, resin casting yourself at all? Or No, I never did. I, I actually bought all the equipment. I bought all the equipment and the plan was to 3D print the masters and then, and then cast them. Right. Uh, and I quickly learned that that wasn't the way to go, that just 3d printing everything. It was faster. It was less messy. Um, and you could, the, the big advantage to 3d printing over resin casting is when you 3d print, you, you initially drop the file that kind of takes all the time actually doing the CAD. Well, once you get the file after that, it's, it's really simple. You, you take the, thumb drive you put your file on it you plug it into the printer you press start and then you go do other things with the resin casting you've got not only do you have the noise of the pressure pots in the vacuum chamber but you actually have to stop and you have to unscrew everything and you have to degas all your resin and you have to put it in the pressure pot you have to do all that stuff it was just way too time consuming and uh you know and this isn't this isn't a call about but like Mike Graves, a face hanger, would post pictures of his of his workshop. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, and that dude's got like an amazing line. But and I've known Mike for years. In the Arizona heat, <laughs> but his yeah, but his workbench was an absolute mess, like resin everywhere, all over the desk, all over the floor, and that's just that's just the the nature of the beast. That's just what it was. And I'm just, I just remodeled my house and I kind of refixed everything. I'm like. I don't want all that crap all over. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. So I stayed with the 3D printing. Um, now the biggest difference is, and 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 why he kind of touched up on this as far as the, the the supports and whatnot. The 3D printed resin is a lot more brittle than than conventional polyurethane resin, cast resin. That's one of the other reasons why I take the time to remove the supports is simply because once the part is cured, mm -hmm. that, that resin is, is very, very brittle. So if you try removing it, like, you know, you, I use just regular, you know, to me, snips, but it, as careful as you be, as you can be to cut the parts, 
dude, it can like shatter, uh, you know, the part that it's attached to. Right. With a polyurethane resin, you know, you could take a saw to it, you could take a Dremel to it. You absolutely cannot do that with 3D printed resin. It's just, it's much more brittle. Uh, so again, that's one of the reasons why I try to remove the supports because it lessens the chance of of the parts breaking uh, during the, the build process. So about on average, like I'm sure with like with anything, you, you know, that's manufactured, what's like your error rate? You know, like how many deep bad prints do you get compared to good prints? When I first started, it was about 50-50. Oh, wow. Um, that was, and that was the other reason for, uh, for the higher prices, um, because I had to compensate for, for the failures and it, it could be any number of things. It could be from the build plate wasn't level. Uh, you didn't slice the, the, the part correctly. There were too many parts on the build plate because that affects the suction of the build plate, you know, down into the, into the vat. There's all these different things, trial and error that you got to learn. Um, you, the part wasn't wasn't supported properly, or it wasn't at the right angle, so it didn't print the way it was supposed to print. But all those right. things came into came into into play over the course of the last couple of years, and trying different things and learning different things and and you know, testing, you, you learn the best way to support items. You learn the best settings to use. So right now, I would say in the last seven or eight months, my failure rate is about 5%. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So for, for every, for every hundred parts that I print, I might get four or five parts that fail. Um, where before, like I said, it was like 50, 50, um, and it's so frustrating because some of these prints take hours. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's there's prints that take three hours and there's prints that take 15 hours. And there is nothing worse than a 15 hour print finishing and most of the parts not being there. And you're like, no, <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta start all over again. <laughs> uh, but it's uh it's been a great experience. Like I said, I've had uh, I, I'll tell you, and I'll, and I'll name him out. Richard Van Zant has by far been the absolute number one reason for the success I've had in doing this. Uh, if it wasn't for Richard and and his mentorship and his and his uh, taking the time to answer all my questions and and provide input on the parts that I'm doing and and you know help with settings and and laying out parts uh hell just even getting me started in 3d printing i honestly don't think that i would be where i'm at right now if it wasn't for richard um he he, he has been by far the the uh the number one reason why i'm as successful as i am uh, so quite a line of items out there himself doesn't he yeah oh yeah yeah his uh flight line resin stuff and it did he is absolutely amazing with his cad work um he is actually helping me right now with the hrs conversion uh, yeah and that, that's one of the other things too is a lot of guys that get into this, it's like anything like, so I knocked out that ATAR, the nose, the palette, you know, relatively quick. I think I finished it in a week from start to finish. And wow. I got the contours of the nose right. I got all the panel lines on there and I got the camera details in there. 
And then I went to do the the the, the landing gear doors with the fairings. <laughs> and I yeah, it's it just I couldn't figure it out. It like it kicked my ass. So I sent Richard an email like, dude, can you help me out here? Like, I, I don't know why I can't grasp this. So he's working on the landing gear doors right now. So hopefully he'll have those done cool. soon and um be able to release this thing. But uh so now since you do well, all your stuff is 3D printed resin. Do you see that completely taking over for cast resin items? And like, how long do you think it'd be before everything is just 3D printed now? It de- I think that depends on. I think that depends on the individual mm-hmm. and maybe the product and how 3D resin printers advance over the next few years. Um, the 3D printers that are out now are absolutely amazing. Like if you look at the prints that, po- that I posted to the ATARS conversion, mm-hmm. they look like they're like they're injection molded. Yeah, or, they're sharp. That and that's from the Elegoo Marsh 3, an absolutely amazing printer. And they're only like 300 bucks. And I know people are like, oh my God, 300 bucks. That's not it is. But for what that printer can do, mm-hmm. it's actually really, really cheap. Uh, there's printers out there that are 10 cents better, but run like two, three thousand dollars. The like every medium, like it comes up a lot if 3D printing is gonna is gonna replace injection molded plastic. That's never gonna happen. I, I you know, there's a lot of wishful thinking, a lot of models out there post like how long before we can just go online and download a download a file and print print a model that may happen but it's not going to replace injection molded plastic it's not as easy as a lot of people think you don't just download the file plug it in and and then you have something ready to go there's a lot more involved in it there's actually an a10 you can download and print yourself yeah, and it's- um, and I watched a video of um, just a few days ago of a guy that uh, he printed it. It showed him going through the print process, and they went through that real quick. But most of it was the assembly, and and the the parts all clicked together. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was he, he only he probably he used glue on the landing gear and a couple of other oh yeah, and when he put the clear bits into the canopy, was the only time he used any glue, and um. While it, it it was essentially a six foot model, it, it looked like it was about 148 scale. And from six feet away, it looked like an A10. Yeah. But when he was holding it up close, you could see that the parts fit was probably not as good as it should have been. I think yeah. if he had glued it and fared it a little better, he probably would have gotten a better, a better finish mm-hmm. to it. Um, but it, it had fantastic engine detail opening panels for the engines uh, and the cockpit was completely detailed with the canopy opening up. Um, But the canopy looked like crap. You know, it's like, (laughs) well, okay. So you did all this great work on the cockpit and then you screwed up the canopy because it looked like a toy um, so that the canopy could open. I mean, that's literally, and then the canopy didn't open the way it does on a, on an A-10. It it opened, it opened, it hinged. And it's like, no, it's supposed to slide. And um, <laughs> so anyway, it was one of those things where uh, um, 
it, it just didn't look right. And it, it um, uh, but it, it, the point is that, that what my takeaway from it was, okay, it, it's going to happen. There's going to be the really weird one-off airplanes that injection molding would probably never pay for. Um, you'll probably be able to get, it won't be an A-10 because everybody wants an A-10. Yeah. Um, but it'll, it'll be the, uh, um, I, I don't know the, um, some weird ass, um, yeah, I can't say that, but some weird, uh, aircraft that, uh, um, comes from, you know, that's obscure and nobody's ever heard of, but there's some modeler. It's just, you know, he's, he's, uh, gonna, he's drooling over getting that particular, model that's going to be 3d printed no a perfect example of that is uh jetmans uh jetmans right now their mm -hmm. 30 second scale aircraft are 3d printed now here so here here's the biggest advantage to 3d printing over injection molded and and no resin casting kind of falls in the same but here's the nice thing about 3d 3d printing okay and one of the things that jetmans is doing so they've got 30 second scale aircraft that for the most part, might not do very well in injection molded, okay? Because of the subject, because of the size, and because of the expense, okay? So, you know, tooling can cost anywhere from $200,000 $200, and up, okay? The nice thing about 3D printing is, let's say I design a product, and this is one of the beauties about designing stuff myself. So let's say I design something, and I say the file and I print a batch and I announce it and it doesn't sell. No big deal. I just don't print anymore. It's the only, my only loss is the few hours it took to design it and however long it took to print the first batch. But if it doesn't sell, okay, then I I don't yeah. print anymore. Yeah. Injection molding is different. You have to, you know, you have to create so many in order to uh, to make up for your cost. And if they don't sell, well, you're kind of <laughs> yeah. you're, you're left with all that with all those kits. Yeah, you've suddenly uh, created a loss leader in your business. Yeah, exactly. So I think, and going back to to Trillo's uh, question, I think every medium is going to have its place. You're going to have the need for injection molding. You're going to have the need for cast resin, and you're going to have the need for 3D printing, and they're all going to complement one each other, each other. But I don't think one is going to take over the other two. Um, uh, Roy Sutherland of uh, Barracuda Cast. Yeah. You know, He's got 3D printed stuff and he's got cast resin stuff. Edward has direct 3D printed stuff and yep. they've got cast resin stuff. It's all going to come down to the, the item and what's more cost effective for that individual company. Uh, for me, it's more cost effective to 3D print all my stuff. For others, it may be more cost effective to cast their stuff in resin. For some, it may be more cost-effective to cast resin some and 3D print others. And then for other companies, it's going to be more cost-effective to do injection molding. So it, it, I think going forward in the hobby, 
every medium is going to have its place. I don't think any of them are going to go away. And I don't think any of them are going to take out completely take over uh, the others. It's just, it's going to be based on the application and the individual company that's producing the item. Okay. Yeah. Cause those jet Mac kids are pretty nice. Cause I have their D five eighty eight sky, uh, sky streak. Uh-huh. That's a nice kit. Like the way it came, the way, the way they, the kit is in the box. Like you could ship the you could ship the kit in just the box because everything is like just packed in foam, and they have laser cutouts for all the because their parts are still on the sprue, the yeah. port the port gates, yeah. and they put them right in the foam and they just and it's solid. Nice. And it's a it's a sharp looking kit, you know. And I'm like, it's on my short list to build this year. Hopefully, if I ever get around <laughs> to it. But yeah, it's 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 sharp looking, and I know they're they're uh, they just did a vigan in 32 scale and they opened it up to pre-orders and they sold every one of them in the span of like two weeks. Really? Yeah. I think they only do like 500. They, they do a run of 500 yep. and within two weeks, all 500 of those vegans were sold. Boom. Wow. Gone. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Um, now there was something else. So you wanted to touch up on the models for Marine project. Yeah, I was going. To, my last question for you was going to be, you know, your models for Marines. What made you get started okay. doing that? Uh, that was an accident. So <laughs> now, now before we get into that, was there anything else you want? Is there anything else anyone wanted to ask about flying Leathernecks or the decals or the resin or or anything else? I'm yeah. glad you came out with the um, oval fuel tanks for the early F-18. So now <laughs> hey, that was all it. Richard, by the way. That's smart because the early TPS, because, yeah. you know, test pilot school is right here in Pax River. And when they were flying, you know, the alphas, you know, their alpha hornets, they had that oval fuel tank. And so it's kind of nice to, oh, man, you know, you can, if you want to do an early hornet, you got the, you know, you got the correct oval fuel tank. So nice. I was excited for that. I need pylons for T45C to put your practice bombs on. So check this out. <laughs> So a, a good friend of mine who who was a an F-18 pilot out of Beaufort just got orders to Kingsville and he's going to be a T-45 flight instructor. So he's already told me if there's anything I need on the T-45 to let him know. So hopefully you're there you uh, go. Yeah, that, that you know, got a friend that works down there. Uh, what's his name? Brandon. Brandon, Brandon Stewart. Stewart. Yeah. 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 Brandon Stewart's down oh. there also. Yep. He's yeah. down there. Yeah, Sorry, David. I, I got I got one more shameless personal plug. So, uh, <laughs> which I know I'll, I'll get the I, it won't happen, but I can I got can at least ask, you know. Yep. So I've I've always wanted to do um an early Harrier, you know, with the standard um, green gray scheme. I, I can't yep. remember which whatever squadron, but they just don't. There's that old crappy nasty Ravel AV8A Harrier that's just like horrific. Um, if you ever win the lottery and you feel like doing something really cool, man, I'd take decals. I'll take a seat or a cockpit for that. Cause the, the kit, the shape is actually not, I guess it's not too, too bad, but man, I just dig those really early, uh, Marine Corps Harrier, um, aircraft. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, so I'm, so I'm begging for, for decals yeah. or something. Is that the 132 scale kit. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's a 132 so, scale kit. So now for decals, I'm going to, I'm going to point you actually, I'm going to point you to the competition. Okay. So Caracal, uh, Karsada yeah. Caracal is yeah. actually coming out with a, with a 32nd scale decal sheet. Now I've seen his quarter scale 
uh, Aviate sheet, and it's, yeah. it's really nice. It's really well researched, and it's really well done. Sweet. And he's he's announced a thirty second scale decal sheet for that very kit. So, Kersad's got you covered. Cool. On decals, resin. I have the kit on hand, and there are things that I'm I'm making notes on. So hopefully here soon I'll have some some three D printed items for that for that kit. Oh um, man. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So since we're laying out a wish list, another good item, you know, the gun muzzle on the Hasegawa F-18, the oh God, growlers. Here we go with the gun muzzle. Here we go. <laughs> For the growlers, you know, Hasegawa has you fill the holes in the gun muzzle. You know, I think oh. a good a good thing to do would be a smooth, you know, blanked off gun muzzle for the for, for the growlers. Actually, that's something I might be relatively easy to do because now that you mentioned it, I forgot to list that in the uh, uh, in the parts count, but that's actually going to be included in the ATARS conversion because the ATARS doesn't have the gun, so we have, to have, we have to have the blank off panel. Um, so well, I can all work for the EF. So is it the same for the the uh, Foxtrot? You know what? I don't know that. Well, the Foxtrot doesn't use the ATARS. So, no, but the blank off plate would it be the same plate. for the Foxtrot? Yeah, yeah the blank off, the blank off plate would be identical for all the Hornets. It's the, it's the exact same. It's the exact same part. Um, so even though the aircraft are vastly different, the gun must the gun blast diffusers are the same uh, on on all Hornets. So there you go. It's so yeah. Once a part is designed, it should fit on on all versions of the kit. So that is definitely something that that I'll look into uh, here shortly. That's the other thing I want to do is I want to try to create those products that that nobody else is doing. Um, no one else does it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I would get four right off the bat, dude. I would take four. <laughs> Hell, I'd buy I'd buy two just just because. <laughs> Chase, no, I ever want to build a uh, growler. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that I want to do, and it all comes down to time. And yeah. now I have been blessed too, where I, I actually have a couple of modelers that help out from time to time with with uh, CAD work. And like I pay Richard, and there's a couple that they just want they just want free product. Yeah. So uh, once again, if there's if there's any modelers out there that are proficient in CAD and they, they watch this podcast and, and they want to, they want to join the, the flying Linux team, uh, reach out. Uh, I can either pay you or, or I can provide you uh, free stuff. It, it, either, either way, you know, whatever, whatever we both agree on that works well for both parties. Uh, I'm, I'm up for it. So um, like I said, I, I got no problem paying you. And I got no problem sending you free stuff. So whatever you prefer. So if you want to reach out, you want to do some stuff, work for me, by all means. Man, uh, I need to I need to dust off my my um, graphic design um, skills from my my old college days. But instead, I spent twenty years flying helicopters in the Navy. So I, I suck <laughs> at anything that I did long time ago. Uh, no, 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 it's not. But yeah, I, I, cause I, so I was a, a, a fine art graphic design major that went into fly in the Navy, which was, uh, which was funny. You know, they didn't, they didn't care. I was like, are you sure you don't care that I'm like an art guy? And they're like, Nope, your grades are good. 
I don't care. <laughs> in my electives, I took like math and science for my, cause I was like, well, I got to try to get a degree really quick and it worked, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's fun. It's all good. Nice. Crazy. Hey, I was an engineer that turned out to be an IT guy. Once I uh, put a uniform on, there you go. There you go. Stuff happens, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, Dave, I, I think that, I mean, it's, it's great to, to hear your story. It's, it, I hope that people can appreciate what you've been through, what you give to the modeling community. And I don't think you're an asshole. I think that <laughs> I just want to go on record. And I, and cause I think wait, when you hear that passion, that's why you do what you do. That's why we do what we do. And, yeah. and it's just, it's, it comes across, it's very genuine. And so I just want to say thanks for everything that you do. And, and I, you know, if anything that we can do the podcast wise to help you out, my goodness, it's just, you know, it's just, um, we're all kind of in this together and, and right. anything that we can do to grow the hobby, make it better. It's again, it's that, it's that, do we just become best friends? Kind of, you know, I mean, it, cause you've only known it's, you know, you know each other for two minutes and you're like, Jesus, are you in my head? I mean, it's just, you know, it's all good, man. So any thanks, thanks for everything that you do and that continue to do and, and you do it, you make an awesome product and, and, uh, you know, again, it's, it's been great to, to meet you and talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. I very much appreciate it. It's been, it's, it's been my absolute pleasure. Um, and, and the feeling is mutual as far as the, you know, getting to know all of you. Uh, like I said, I, I've known, I've known Frodo and Whitey for a while now, yeah. uh, uh, Tim <laughs> and Scott, this is my first time officially meeting both of you. Um, and, and it's been a pleasure. Um, and to go back to the the models from Marines project and and how that started is uh, so a few years ago uh, I was contacted by by a former Marine uh, that was attached to VMAQ three and he had got my name from from another mutual friend uh, that knew I, that I built scale models and he reached out and wanted to know. Uh, how much I would charge to build a model of an EA6B in Q3 markings, and it would be as a gift for the last commanding officer of VMAQ3. And I'm like, dude, just 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 pay for the model. That's that's all I ask. Is just just cover the price of the model, and and I'll build it. You know, no big deal. Um, so he did. He sent me the money. I ordered the model, and I started putting it together. Life kind of got in the way and like most of us it you know i i had to worry about other things and as the as the time approached to have this model done and shipped i was like oh shit like i'm i'm not going to be able to finish it in time to to ship it to where he has it in time to present it so i made the decision that I'm going to eat this one. And I drove to Cherry Point to hand deliver this model uh, on the day that it was to be presented. Uh, burned the midnight oil a couple nights, you know, finished the model uh, and, and drove it to Cherry Point and, and presented the model. That particular decision is what led to the Models for Marines project. Because I got a shitload of requests to to build models, like you know, Marines saw it and like, oh, uh, how much, 
you know, how much would it be for, for you to build one for me? And when I first started it, it was like, just pay for the mom, just a $50 deposit to that average price of a model is about 50 bucks, depending on, you know, you all know, depending on where you get it. So it was mostly prowlers and hornets and, and whatnot. Um, so it was initially pay for the model, cover the shipping and, and, and that's it. What happened is I took payment for models and I took payment for shipping. And then because of life, it took me a while to finish the models. And I started getting the, Hey, I, I sent you money on X amount of date. Where's my model? You know, I, I'm sorry. I, and, and admittedly, I, I kind of bit off a little bit more than I could chew. I took on too many projects at once. So I finished all those. I got all those off my plate. And then I decided that I wasn't going to charge anymore. So two things that led to that decision. One, uh, Kinetic Models, Sprue Brothers, both reached out and gave me wholesale accounts for, for, for kids. So that alleviated some of my costs on the models that I was buying to build these models for Marines. The other reason was I didn't want to take money and not be able to provide the model um, in a relative, you know, when they expected it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing these for free from now on because now there's, there's no, uh, that's the word I'm looking for. There's no money involved. So it's like, look, I'm, I'm going to, when I finish it is when you're going to get it. Okay. So now they're not paying for something. They're, they're not out money without, without a kit. And that, that left me a little bit more freedom to finish it when I was able to. So that, that's kind of how the whole models for Marine project came about. So now what I do is I get requests um, I get about two or three requests a week to, oh, wow. to build, to build models. Um, and I constantly have something on the table. Uh, a good example is right now I've got the old monogram, uh, UH one, uh, that I'm building for someone, uh, that their father, uh, flew with the sea wolves, uh, during Vietnam. So I'm doing that. I've, I've got a bunch of prowlers. I've got hornets. I've got a crap load of other models on, on the workbench. Um, you know, behind me, you can see I've got, <laughs> I've got, I've got multiples of, of different, uh, different aircraft. I, I think I've got like 35 or 40 hornets and I've, I've got 30 prowlers and, 
uh, a dozen UH1Ys and AH1Zs and UH1Ns and, and V22s and, and you name it, I've got it. Um, but I started doing the models for Marines project and I stopped charging Marines again when my costs substantially decreased. Uh, I, it's one of those things where I get the enjoyment of, of building the model and someone else gets the enjoyment of seeing the model of an aircraft that they worked on right that they flew um or maintain you know you know what i mean so it's 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 a win-win uh and i i do well enough on flying linux decals that i can eat the cost of the kit and i can eat the cost of the shipping and it's it's really not that big of a deal um i've had a couple uh, marines insist on paying uh and I did send me a squadron t-shirt or, or a couple stickers or, or buy me a bottle of bourbon and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm good. So uh, it's, it's, that's been nice. Uh, the, the, the most flattering thing about it is I've had Marines and squadrons contact me that, I've never those squadrons that I've I've never dealt with, um, and I a good example is I had a captain from VMA two twenty three reach out to me a few months ago about a Harrier model, and he got my name and contact information from a Marine from five forty two, and I was like, okay, this is kind of cool because I didn't do anything for five forty two. I did something for 231, which means that 231 passed my information to 542, and 542 passed my information to 223. <laughs> so, so, okay. uh, your name's on the whiteboard in every uh, Marine squad. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of basically what it kind of came down to. I was like, okay, so my, I, they know who I am, they know what I do. And, and my name is being passed around. My contact information is being passed around. And, and it's, 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 again, it's, it's flattering and it's humbling to be able to be in that position where I can, I can do this for, for other Marines. Um, you know, just in January, uh, I got, I, I had the, the, the fortunate, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Lost my train of thought. I was able to build a going away gift for the for the outgoing commanding officer of five forty three, and again, that was just by word of mouth that my name got passed to their squadron. So it's the models for Marine Project has been a very uh, humbling thing that I've been able to do. Uh, that I've been able to provide models for for Marines uh, at no cost to them, and it, and it's kind of my way of of giving back to to my fellow. Uh, uh, my fellow brothers in the core. That's good. That's good, man. That's a, yeah. you got a big heart, man. I'm, I'm sure that they are going to love it forever. You know, it's a, real quick. There's a thing you said, you're building a, that, that Huey mm-hmm. for a guy whose dad was in Hal three. Yeah. 
there was a PBS special that came on last year sometime, and it was about Hal 3, the Sea Wolves. Really? And I was watching mm-hmm. it, and they were the they had the distinction of being a squadron that stood up during Vietnam and decommissioned at the end of Vietnam. I did not know and that. They, they said that when they got their helicopters, they literally came out and said, hey, we're going to start a new squadron. It's going to be a helicopter light attack. And the helicopters they got were like hand-me-downs, <clears throat> pieces of crap from the army. But they had to, no kidding, like get back into flying condition, you know, like fix them up. Uh-huh. And those were the ones that they used. And then so the end of Viet- the Vietnam came, they, they decommed. Well, when the spec, the seal started coming around and everything, they needed a unit specifically designed to do special forces stuff. And so when they did, they said, okay, we're going to bring back that concept. And my dad from 80, what, 86 to 89 was in HAL 4 in Norfolk, Virginia. And they carried on when they came back and they stood up HAL 4 they took HAL 3's lineage and their Red Wolf insignia. And the HAL 3 Red Wolf was what was on the nose of their helicopters. And they were flying awesome. HH1K Hueys. So then you had HAL 4 on the East Coast and HAL 5 on the West Coast. And then when they got rid of their Hueys, they went to HCS 84 and HCS 85. And the hotel, the Kitty Hawk 35th scale hotel, has. Uh-huh their decommissioning markings that they did where they went back to that field green color with the subdued black markings and the half or the red wolf on the nose. And their, their sole purpose was working with Marines. And when my dad was in that, that, that was all he did. You know, they flew Marines around, they, you know, extracted them, infiltrate, you know, inserted them, all that kind of stuff. And then they just finally decommed them a couple of years ago. Because they were flying the hotel, the the 60H. Okay. But yeah, I just thought it was kind of, you know, I saw, I was just flipping channels and I saw that come on and I was like, oh. And so like me being an aviation (laughs) nut, it just piqued my interest. And I was like, oh, it's kind of cool, you know. Yeah. And like they have reunions every year. And uh, and so you said that HAL, you know, the HAL 3, I was like, oh. So I tied it in, you know, my dad was stationed with HAL 4. He he was a door gunner. That's absolutely awesome. Nice. Well, um, fellas, you guys got anything for Dave? Nothing Just more. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, 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 thanks again for sitting down and talking with us. Yeah. Really. No, no. My, yeah. it's, it's been my pleasure. And like I said, you know, honestly, I mean, uh, discounting the, the, even if it's not for the, for the podcast, I mean, I think it'd be great if, if we kind of did something, something similar to this, uh, you know, a couple times a month, just with a bunch of other modelers, you know, just to discuss the hobby in general and, and well, modeling. And, and well, I'll take it. Which day you give me your email which. address, you'll get an invite to a Zoom call that we hold once a month. And um, it's our group. And essentially, okay. yeah, there's usually anywhere from a dozen <clears throat> to 20 guys who'll talk about whatever project we're working on. You know, I would absolutely love to because I'm not going to lie. So, and this is just my my personal experience. So, you know, I I work from home and I used to work for Trader Joe's after I retired. And I I absolutely loved Trader Joe's. Um, I left because 
so I started Trader Joe's immediately after retiring from the Marine Corps. And in the nine years that I was with the company, I loved it, but oh, it was rough. It was it was just absolutely rough. Just too many hippies, huh? Oh my god! No, no joke, and I'm and I'm being completely serious. Literally, (laughs) at least twice a week, I was pulled outside by management. This is over the course of nine years, mind you. Okay, at least once or twice a week, I was pulled outside by management because my tone, my body language, my mannerisms, my language something i did offended somebody okay so so you need to leave that on the flight line yeah so i left trader joe's with an intention of going back and unfortunately i wasn't able to return but i I enjoy doing what i'm what i do but i'm here all day long pretty much most of the day by myself i don't go anywhere and and quite honestly i don't have a lot of friends so i don't interact with people as much as i used to when i was at trader joe's one of the things i loved about trader joe's i love the customers i love talking to people i loved helping you know helping them you know with their grocery shopping and and just being around those people it was the employees i couldn't stand because they were all worthless civilians <laughs> But, but I, I miss that interaction with people. And my, my, my dilemma now is like, as much as I love being self-employed and and doing quite well at what I'm doing, the, the being alone part, you know, like working from home, isn't all it's cracked up to be. You soon realize that, holy crap, you need that. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like, you need that, that you need that connection with other people. Right. So Yeah, I, I've got a good friend that lives locally, but he's a flight attendant. So he's gone a lot. So he doesn't, he's not always in the area. And he's honest, quite honestly, he's the only friend that I've got here in Atlanta. Um, I, 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 all my friends are either in California, Missouri, or North Carolina. Like I have no, I literally have no friends here in Atlanta. So we got some friends in Maryland. Yeah, yeah so but I mean, so it would be absolutely amazing to be part of this <laughs> part so, of these meetings more yeah, often. So Dave, serious, dead serious. Send me your email address, and okay. we, we meet online once a month. Okay, face to face once a month. All right. Um, when COVID was really hot and heavy, and nobody could freaking leave their homes, damn near, uh, we were meeting once a week. Um, nothing stopping us from doing it more often, other than most of the guys seem to seem to say, yeah, we need to back off. But um, yeah, I, and in fact, the next one is this, this coming Thursday. Okay. Um, it'll be uh, seven o'clock. And uh, yeah, shoot me your email address. I'll put you on the distribution. Okay. And, um, and and what you'll do is it, it's always blind copy. So you won't see anybody's email address. They won't see yours unless you want them to. And all you, yeah, all you got to do is, yeah, all you do is send me a note and say, hey, can you pass to the rest of the guys? I want X. And what I'll do is literally just forward your email and, um, and then they can reply directly to you. Okay. Um, you know, things like photographs or research information, if you want something oh, yep. that's outside of your Marine, uh, your Marine buddies. So yeah, just shoot that to me. And um, it, it, the email address you can use is green shirt 82 at Gmail. 
Okay. Um, you know, cause I, I was a maintainer just like uh, Whitey and, uh, and Frilda, although those guys really weren't real maintainers. They were flight <laughs> flying guys. So. Hey, um, my first six years, I was a wrench turner, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yeah. So green shirt 82, you know, no spaces and, um, yeah, at Gmail and shoot that to me and, and I'll, I'll get you on the distribution. And if that doesn't work, um, either Frill or Whitey will get me your email address and okay. I'll make sure you're on there. Well, awesome. I'm glad you mentioned that, Dave, because we might start doing some stuff with the podcast and uh, I would love, you know, I'm sure we would love to have you on, you know, like Facebook lives or something like that, that we oh, you yeah. know, get around to doing. So keep your ears out. I'm sure we'll be hitting you up. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I, I, I hope I was able to touch on all the topics that you wanted me to touch on. I know I, yeah. a couple of times I kind of went off on, on tangents there and I, I hope everything kind of, kind of messed together. Yeah. Uh, talk airplanes until midnight. Yeah. Was that? We can talk airplanes until midnight and, I, and I'm not <laughs> hey, talking about hey. necessarily today. Hey, I got a whole Ooh, bottle to last me. <laughs> I was going to ask you what you were drinking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, my, my, my good old Woodford Reserve. So yeah. I'm down to that and a, and a, and a bottle of uh, Winchester. So, um, but no, I, I, like I said, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you guys. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that anyone that watches the podcast, you know, can take anything out of it. And, and so everyone knows that I'm an open book. Um, I, I don't hide anything from anyone. I, I don't, I'm not all about like trade secrets and, and, and whatnot. If anyone else is that, that watches this is interested in getting started, whether it's decals or, or the 3d printing, um, by all means, reach out, ask questions. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for other people helping me. Okay. I'm not going to be here forever. We're, we're, we're all, I don't know what my circumstances are going to be five years from now. I don't know what they're going to be. I can be dead next year for all I know. I don't, like, I don't know, you know, like nobody knows. So if there's another modeler out there that wants to get started in the same thing, that wants to get involved in the 3D printing, reach out. I'll share everything I've learned with you um, because I, I may not be here a few months from now to continue. But if if you can pick up where I left off based on what I help you with, then then everyone's better for it. Um, it's all healthy competition, you know. Uh, the more, the merrier. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose any sleep by by teaching you what I know. It's it's. It's going to help you. It's going to help me, and it's going to help the hobby in general. So, again, if there's anybody else out there that watches this and they want to know more or they want to get started, feel free to reach out. Uh, I'm all over the internet. Do a Google search, uh, and 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 I'll do whatever I can to help you. Hey, Dave. Thanks for taking the time to sit down with us and um, give us some insight onto the aftermarket business you know decals and 3d printed aftermarket parts that seems to be the the rage right now and tim before we move on i'd like to thank you for filling in for dran yeah thank you i thank you guys for allowing me to do this this has been 
Awesome. I, I've really enjoyed tonight. This has uh, been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, Tim, ha- ha- happy to have you on and, you know, come back soon. You know, it's, uh, it's always great talking to you and uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the geeks. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Second, the best, yeah. The best part about tonight was that instead of me shouting at my computer as you guys are, as I'm listening to you guys, no, 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 no. And then jumping on and typing out an email. Uh, I get this. I get to say something live. And uh, for the listen, for the listeners, if you want to find Dave's products, you can go to find them on. He, he sells. A, he has a shop on Facebook, Flying Leathernecks Decals, and he also has a webpage, flying www.flyingleathernecksdecals.com. So go ahead and give him check him out. I'm sure he's got to have going to have something that you're going to like. Episode thirty one. Is in the books. I hope everybody had a good time and enjoyed listening to us talk about a hobby that we are all fond of and want to thank you for making us a valuable part of your bench time or your way to work or doing yard work. It was another good time to listen. That's when I listen to us in the summertime. And uh, we can hope you join us for the next one. And for now, be excellent to each other and keep your sprues empty. Out for the geeks. Take care, everyone. All right, y'all. Take it easy. See ya. (laughs) Bye-bye.